Isaac, take it. I knew you were going to do that. I knew it. I knew it. Hey there. Welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits. Coming to you live from the Santa Cruz Recycle Garage. Man, I've had a long day. This was not nice of you. <laughs> hey there. Welcome to Motorcycles <laughs> and Misfits here at the Recycle Ooh, Garage where? in sunny Santa Cruz, California. Why? <laughs> We've got a fun show coming to you tonight. But first, in the room, you've got me. This is Liza. Hello. Hello. Next to me, we've got <laughs> pretty boy Isaac. Oh, God, he's so pretty. I put a hundred, the 170,000th mile on my bike this week. Ooh. 170,000th? Yeah. We wow. don't we don't care, Isaac, because you're wow. so good looking, darling. Wow. <laughs> On the board tonight, we've got Bagel. I'm back, back in the saddle again. <laughs> <laughs> On the pretty girl couch tonight, we've got Miss Emma. Hello, darlings. Next to that, we've got Jim. It's Jim Rice, and hi, everybody. There we go. Next to that, we've got Lisa. Hi. Good. Going around the corner, I've got Henry. Hey, what's up? Next to that, we've got Dave. Hey, guys. And coming up on the caboose, we've got Brandon. I'm just here for Liza's night banana. (laughs) (laughs) Kiss the ginger, five cents. (laughs) Good potassium, you know. Mm -hmm. Prevents cramps. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, I want to get right to um, our topic tonight. One of the things, you know, I talk about how fortunate we are here in Northern California, the amount of motorcycling greatness that we have, be it, uh, you know, electric companies or inventors or racers or travelers, explorers, all sorts of things. Well, we recently discovered yet another gem here in our backyard, and I'm delighted to have him here with us tonight. With us, we have Jim Rice. Jim is in the AMA Motorcycle Hall of Fame. That means he's done some pretty cool stuff right. to get that. A lot of we've had a, a lot of other Hall of Famers who reached that, and uh, you, you have to be pretty pretty decent rider to it's, get that. I mean, it's really the benchmark for sporting achievement in motorcycling. It 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 really always has been. Exactly, and not just that, but he comes from an era when when flat track racing was, I think, at its peak. When you had such greats as uh, Mert Lowell, Gene Romero, Don Castro, oh, and who? Kenny Roberts. A All young these guys, Kenny Roberts. Young Kenny Roberts, riding in the ra- in in on the dirt and tracks that many don't exist anymore, and right here. Locally, we had a few tracks, Hayward, San Jose, to name a few, Sacramento that still exists, and we'll get back to Sacramento a little bit later. But There's Little Guy Cycle Bowl <laughs> <laughs> every Friday night. That was a great racetrack. Before we get any further, there is something I would like you to explain, please. Our listenership is worldwide. And there are going to be some listeners who really don't know the whys and wherefores of dirt track and what an impact it had on American motorcycling. They'll know Speedway. But so can you describe basically the riding style for flat track and the length of tracks? 
Well, <clears throat> I think we need to start out at sportsman level. That's where um, you can sort of uh, get your feet wet, so to speak, in uh, motorcycle racing. And uh, I was lucky enough to grow up in a time, uh, you know, around 1966, 67, 68, 69, 70, early 70s, when uh, there was a very, you know, home prices weren't that as escalated as they are now so there was a lot more racetracks and uh like you could race in the uh, san francisco area lodi friday night uh hayward saturday night and about once or twice a month uh fremont and uh but these were dirt tracks they're dirt tracks and sportsman racing it was just for trophies mm-hmm. but the competition was unbelievable there were 400 riders or so would show up for a sunday um you know race at fremont and uh if you won say 650 expert main event there you were you were riding against probably uh 100 guys before you know through the process eliminations you get the final race of um, about 12 to 15 riders and how long were the tracks i mean the speedway's a quarter mile oval but the american tracks are a little larger aren't they they're half mile uh depending like fremont would be i've never you know tried to measure it but my guess is it would be with all the twists and turns, maybe a half mile in length or, or between a half mile and a mile. Okay. And uh, Lodi Cycle Bowl would be more like a quarter mile. And uh, and Hayward would be, you know, eighth, maybe eighth mile. But uh, the amount of riders and the caliber of riders, Mark Brelsford and all kinds of great uh, flat track racers, uh, Mert Lawell and a lot of the guys, you know, they, they raced in this area and and uh, it was a wonderful place okay so we know what basically the oval is so yeah so if we didn't say this is jim rice and he is another one of the local racing legends but i want to find out how you get to be a legend how you get there and i want to go back to the beginnings because you weren't originally from california where are you from uh from uh near orville ohio place called riceland and it's about three miles from Orville, and it was basically uh, on Route 30, which went between Worcester, Ohio, which is known for Rubbermaid uh, products, and Maslin, Ohio. And um, my grandfather and father built an 18-hole golf course there, so that's where I grew up. And I was always uh, interested in uh, how an internal combustion motors work because on the golf course we'd use Briggs and Stratton mowers and uh, a lot of things like that and I just thought that was the coolest thing where you know you could uh, start these motors up and go do a day's worth of work and put a little bit of gas in them and they just kept on running and I always thought ahead a lot of times to uh, set a goal for myself and I, I decided I wanted to have a car when I was 16 and got my driver's license because I viewed that as being able to have freedom and be able to get places, do things, which sounded exciting to me and travel. And uh, so anyway, that's that's sort of my early goal. And, and I sent away to Ford Motor Company and got information back from them explaining how internal combustion motors work. Well, not just information. Didn't they, didn't they send you the whole box of stuff? Yeah, it was a... Isn't that great? 
it was a cardboard hmm. box full of all all these things I could go through, and uh, it made a big positive difference in my life. And my fourth grade teacher was pretty impressed. <laughs> wow! With my, oh my god, this my is fourth grade. Fourth grade. Yeah, with my initiative. <laughs> <laughs> Were you one of those kids who was just taking things apart? Oh yeah. Were, so, you, were you one of those kids who could put them back together? I could. Two kinds of kids. <laughs> All of them take stuff apart. Yeah. Some of them can put it back together. In this box, was it was it like papers and like and and information, or was there also like examples and small pieces, you know, things you could uh, oh, play there, with? There were books with drawings. It showed each stroke of uh, internal combustion motor and how the valves operated and things like that. And uh, from that t- from that day on, boy, I was even dug in deeper, so to speak, on wow. on uh, just immersing myself with all that. And in uh, about the fourth grade, I, at lunch hours, I'd go and uh, to Orville at the hardware and and buy um, parts to make my go kart. And I started out with a wood frame. And then uh, on the front wheels, you know, you have to have a tie rod, what they call a tie rod, and it's a rod that connects the spindles of both front wheels so you can turn it. And I I had the steering set up, and I went down and I bought a quarter-inch threaded rod that went between the two wheels on the spindles. And when I sat in the go-kart and then turned the wheel, this quarter-inch rod just watered up (laughs) vertically. (laughs) And I thought... You know, that wasn't strong enough. I think I'm going to have to go back tomorrow and buy maybe a half inch. And that's exactly what I did, and that did work. See, yours was much higher tech than mine. I had the wooden go-kart that had the rope. Do you know the <laughs> rope that went and and was spiraled around the steering column? So then, when you turn, it would pull the wheel one way and the oh, other. That's right. Jack is <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, no, hang on. I mean, we're talking about go karts, but sooner or later, we've got to get to motorbikes. And you swung a leg over a motorbike at some stage. When was that? And what was that? Your very first bike. Well, like I mentioned, I had a moped um, that I rode on the golf course, and it was made by Sears and Roebuck. <laughs> nice. And um, it had two speeds, and uh, it had the throttle on the throttle side. It had a swivel on the front brake where you could pivot your wrist back towards you, and it would go from first gear to second gear, and then the downshift you went the other way. Well, what I learned is you could get the thing going as fast as it possibly go in second gear and then downshift it into first, and the motor would start turning over so fast it sounded like a, a, a sewing machine on speed. <laughs> you know, it was incredible. And, you know, it's a kind of a kid's mentality, you know, just trying out different stuff. Never broke the thing. You know, I have to give it full credit <laughs> wow. for that. So, serious thumbs up, Ben. I was going to say, how many times can you do that before you blow the motor? <laughs> well, obviously a lot. <laughs> now, I would assume to achieve 12 national AMA wins, you came from a racing family, right? Uh, not really. <laughs> not at all. Um, what did your family do? Well, my brother was a brainiac, and he always got all A's in school, went to MIT, and so on and so forth, and went on to be uh, one of the top four ophthalmic surgeons in the world. Hmm. And, <laughs> Is this your big brother? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's that's hard to compete. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I didn't even try to up him in that area. 
But yeah, I, I, I was more a grassroots kind of guy, you know, and I like to work with my hands. Uh, I like to, mechanical things always fascinated me in motors and stuff like that, like I mentioned before. But, uh, and then later on when I started uh, racing motorcycles, um, just for trophies and things like that at local races, uh, I did all my own work, built my own equipment, and learned from my mistakes, so to speak. Well, we got a bit ahead of ourselves because you're already racing. So how did that kind of start? You're, you're riding your moped around the golf course, and you think, this is great. You're making all kinds of biblical noises out of the engine. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to progress to the stage where you actually want to start competing against people. How did that happen? Well, um... When I was 16, well, let's see, it would be my end of my junior year. And we're still in Ohio. Uh, Yes. We're still in Ohio. And then uh, that summer, we moved to California, Palo Alto, and my mother's sister and her husband were living in Palo Alto, and they had a house that they wanted to sell. And my uh, mom and father ended up uh, purchasing that house, and it had a, a small guest house out back with a like a wood shop, which I quickly turned into a motorcycle workplace. Oh, nice. <laughs> and my stepfather wasn't too too happy about that, but <laughs> he he may do, and so did I. And, um, and that's when I I started avidly. Um, you know, I was still delivering um, uh, San Francisco Examiner newspaper route, and I get up at 2 a.m. in the morning my senior year of high school, and uh, rain or shine, you know, well, at nighttime, it's, it's not going to be shining, but rain or any condition, like it's just nasty in the wintertime, you know, I'd be out there riding the motorcycle with uh, papers on the, in the Here's carriers. the thing, though. Listeners have heard us talk about the weather enough. They're not buying this living in California and inclement weather. But to us, it is. If it, if it gets down to, like, 52, we're, we're yeah. freezing. Yes. Oh, yeah. In 40s. <laughs> Frostbite. And this was exactly. this was pre Gore-Tex. But so you were you exactly were, that's this was, yeah. was pre Gore-Tex. Yeah, like what were you wearing? Yeah, something wool. Like, you couldn't put yeah. enough for clothes on. <laughs> sweat yeah, right. So you were delivering papers on your motorcycle. Yeah, in the morning, like two a.m. and and when I you know I was progressing in bigger and louder motorcycles, and mm-hmm. when I got up to. Uh, I bought a BSA uh, Spitfire Hornet in 1964. Oh, that's a good bike. Yeah. Fragile bike, but a good bike. And <laughs> uh, it had uh, high pipes with uh, shorty mufflers on it. And you can imagine at 2 a.m., I'd leave it run. <laughs> Los Altos, uh, I'd leave it run at this apartment building. And then it's quicker just to run around the building and to be tossing papers, get back on your bike, and go to the next apartment. I bet you were everyone's best oh, yeah. friend. <laughs> and I remember one morning at 2 a.m., uh, this guy walks out, and he was not happy. And he said, Listen, he says, if you ever come back here again, he says, and leave your motorcycle running, he says, I'm going to kill you. Like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he said that to me. That's and pretty blunt. Not, I thought, not, I'm going to call the police. I thought, there's no way I'm buying this. You know, He's going to kill me over just too loud a noise. And the next night when I showed up, <laughs> at the same time, I just left that sucker run. And <laughs> Never, Did he come ne- out with his shotgun? Never saw the guy again. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But you didn't start out racing on motorcycles, correct? No, no, not at all. And uh, uh, let's see. Uh, then um, 
you know, I did start going to some of the local scrambles races, and after I went to one of them, I thought, man, I got to do that. <laughs> and I, uh, I got my buddy and I bought a Yamaha YDS2 street bike, mm-hmm. and which would be probably the worst motorcycle you could possibly <laughs> buy to learn to ride scrambles on the dirt. <laughs> and I literally fell off of that thing every time I rode it uh, several times. And uh, and pretty soon after a month or so of doing this and on the weekends, I was getting good enough where I could actually keep it on two wheels. And uh, I was in the 250 novice class, and that was one of the um, most competitive classes because a lot of a lot of guys rode the 250 cc displacement motorcycles to get going racing, and uh, tough class. But I. I'm going to give myself a little bit of credit. After a few months of falling off of that thing and getting back up and getting going, I actually got into a main event. And uh, I don't remember how I did, maybe 10th or 12th or something like that. But that was quite an accomplishment for me. Uh, And then shortly after that, I um, had enough money saved up, and I bought a, a BSA 650 Spitfire Hornet. Uh, 1965 and that motorcycle was a good handling unbelievably easy bike to ride compared to the Yamaha two-stroke you know 250 and I just started you know, I don't want to brag but I was doing <laughs> oh, really, go ahead. really well on that sports and racing you know and very quickly uh, progressed in a couple years to, I think it was 1967, I was uh, the number one uh, um, District 36 Rider of the Year uh, based on points accumulation on all the different racetracks. Just so you know, that nine-foot trophy in your house, that, that gives you the right to brag. <laughs> yeah, that was a high point uh, trophy at Hayward Speedway, and uh, man, when I saw that thing out there, and they said, "Yeah, that's going to be your your uh, trophy." Do you guys believe he he won a race, and they gave him a nine foot tall trophy. No, I mean, who has nine foot tall ceilings in their home? Anyone? Anyone? Just to keep this totally correct, it's an accumulation of point total that allowed me to win that that year, but. Uh, I was just lucky to be in the right place at the right time. How did you even get that thing home? It's funny. A, a, <laughs> a, a friend of mine, Bruce, he and I, I had a Ranchero at the time, and nice. uh, Ford Ranchero. And we sat, uh, you know, I didn't want to just tie it on vertical because I thought if I braked really hard, the whole top end might break <laughs> off of it, yeah. you know. <laughs> And, and so we came up with this idea where we would lean it, but not at too far of an angle or put too much stress on the trophy parts, you know, holding it vertical. But we came up with this angle we liked and then tied it. He got, he got me in the car, and then we tied it to the door handles to, oh to hold it against the roof. Wow. And, and I remember when I got home, I crawled out of the window, and then Bruce followed me home and in his vehicle, and we... It was like it. Uh, we just finished at the Hayward Speedway. Then, the time we got home, it was like 1 a.m. and my mom and stepdad were already in bed, and we were trying to sneak it into the living room <laughs> to surprise them when they got up in the morning. Problem was, it's eight and a half foot tall, and the ceiling was eight foot. Oh, so, man. so we, we we were pretty quiet when we got it in there. But when we stood it up vertical, we could see 
hey, this is not going to work, you know, and we started going, like, kind of snickering and laughing a little bit, you know, trying to figure out this out. And uh, and uh, anyway, to make a long story short, uh, you know, I took the top off, stood it up, and snuck out of there. And the next morning when I, I, I got up and came in, and my mom was in the kitchen at breakfast time, and she goes, she said, whoa, where did that come from, you know? And... Uh, I, she said, I heard you and, and Bruce last night laughing out here. You know, I thought something must be going on, you know. <laughs> but that, that was that was pretty cool. Oh, and I wanted to go back uh, because your wife mentioned this. You didn't tell your family that you were racing, right? Yeah, for a, a while there. <laughs> sort that of, was but, cars. Yeah, when you were racing yeah. cars? Yeah. yeah. How old were you when you were racing cars? Uh, I was around, just got my driver's license okay. and doing that kind of stuff. It was drag racing at uh, Dragway 42, West Salem, Ohio. And how did they find out? Uh, well, you know, my buddy who, uh, Jim Brown, uh, he, I'd go over at the Ohio station across Route 30 from the golf course and then work on my car over there. But I'd bring it back to the golf course at night sometimes and then test it out on the fairways. And I remember I ended up blowing one of the motors up in my car because it spins so easy on the grass that I'd over, I over-revved it and, and blew it up. And and I learned I learned hey you know can't do that you got to have it on asphalt something that allows it to accelerate slower you know with all your horsepower instead of just over revving it with no load on it but uh, it's like anything else you, you know you learn the hard way. <laughs> but didn't they find out from the newspaper? Yeah, <laughs> it uh, it was on the front page of uh, the Orville newspaper, uh, which we got and. Uh, of winning at the dragway 42 up there in each stock class and uh and then i had to i had to uh, one of the golfers when i was out there working on the golf course he said hey jim you better talk to your mom he said did she seen the paper yet today and i go no what what and he, said, and he told me the whole story and so i went and found my mom right away and i go hey mom there's something i gotta tell you you know uh <laughs> Jim Brown and I have been going up to Dragway 42, and, well, it's nothing bad, but, uh, you know, the car I own, you know, won, won the race uh, Sunday and got all these contingency prizes, and it's in the front page in the, in the Courier Crescent there, you know. But, you know, I mean, that's a great headline. At least you won. I mean, if the headline had been some lunatic's been tearing up the freeway and leaving engine parts in the or middle of it, you know. Mystery... Uh mystery tracks on the golf course exactly that's not a good headline so at least you won um but you know back to the bikes you stayed pretty loyal to bsa for a while didn't you i mean you've talked about a couple of bsas already but you stayed loyal to that brand didn't you yeah i, I when i bought um like i say in a senior in high school i bought my uh uh, BSA Spitfire Hornet, uh, you know, had this orange fiberglass tank on it, uh, and it was a good handling bike and good running. And I, you know, like I say, I converted that over, and as soon as I got that on the racetrack, I was winning, you know, winning races regular. And um, and then I really realized that hey, I might be able to really do something special, you know. And my heart and soul was in it. So, and when I felt that before with other things I was interested in, uh, the outcome usually turned out pretty positive, if not achieving my goal. 
and uh, so that's the direction I headed. And little did I realize um, what a world it would open up for me, not only in um, different tracks around the world, but in learning to road race, which, you know, there's a whole big difference between riding on the dirt and road racing. Road, oh, race, yeah. road racing, you know, it's a lot of it's about horsepower, bike setup, um, and how good the rider is and, and how much courage he has. And there's no little room for error where a dirt track, you know, uh, whether it's scrambles level or the speeds are slower or, you know, riding uh, like the Sacramento Mile or something like that, it's all um, seat time and 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 practice and racing and different events. I think bravery and bravado play quite a large yeah, part. Yeah, but it goes well. it goes hand in hand with right. experience. And when you race against the best guys around. And there were quite a few. Dick Mann. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I can't say enough about that guy. He's he's my idol. Always will be. He the man. And that guy can he can ride anything. He's like the 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 nowadays Cody Webb, you know. Right. Like Cody's another guy, just unbelievable talent. You know, he went to San Jose State, and he travels all over the world uh, doing these really cool events that are so difficult, like some hill climbs. Oh, and Ayersberg. Yeah, some hill climbs that <clears throat> nobody can make, you know. And Cody Webb's there, or you know, the indoor. You know, uh, races and and stuff like that. He rides up trees. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I've seen him ride over the back of a car while doing a wheelie, and while he's still doing a wheelie on the rear window, wow. incrementally, in his rear tire, rear wheel, it's been incrementally, just a little bit at a time, and he's balancing it perfectly, keeps it balanced, rides over the roof, down the front, onto a trailer that's got a log on it, and then jumps down to the ground. Yeah, but now look here. We know Cody Webb is extremely talented. But a lot of our listeners are younger, and they would not believe how rudimentary these machines were that you were winning on. So let's go back to the BSA. It's a 650cc twin-cylinder bike, right? That's correct. Exactly, and I just Googled. I'm looking at a picture. This does not, to me, look like a race bike. Well, they they didn't. I mean, it looked like a street bike. You're about 50 horsepower, 55 horsepower, right? Well, yeah, I mean, basically, um, but when you get it up to flat track and being competitive, you know, you got to get a little more horsepower and right. that out. But the main problem with the BSAs were there were design flaws, major design flaws with um, flywheels being made out of uh, less than than top quality steel mm. and so what a hang on wait i'm gonna talk a, to your people an english bike made of <laughs> inferior materials i find that very hard to it must believe. have been made friday around tea time <laughs> yes well no anything made at about 4 30 in the afternoon because everyone's having tea but yeah no these were very very flawed bikes yeah. drum brakes front and rear no braking <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And as you say, design, you know, d- poor metallurgy on a lot of the parts, just poor quality parts. It was an achievement getting these things to a competitive status. Yeah, well, if you ever took a tour of the factory in England, which I did, and uh, 
I remember uh, we went over there in 1970 for a match race series against the British Transatlantic. It's the first Transatlantic match race series, but I had the honor of taking a tour of one of the BSA in Birmingham's facilities. Tell me it, that story about the frames, because that is a wonderful story, and it's so endemic about what we were doing back then. Well, one of the places we took us to was a World War II uh, bunker <laughs> that they had set up with uh, um, you know places to weld frame production frames and things like that and that was the first year that BSA uh, tr uh, attempted to make the oil in the frame uh, um, kind of mimicking the trackmaster frame which the dirt trackers used which had oil in the frame but difference being the track masters were made out of high quality chromoly steel and they were heliarched to, uh, together with a good quality welder which gives you not only a good structural joint on the joint itself but on the inside of the tubing there's not slag or any any contamination mm -hmm. so it's really a very professional super strong reliable way of doing it but when at the BSA factory when they're trying to mimic the oil in the frame they use you know low quality steel and then they were arc welding it and if you know anything about arc welding especially low quality steel tubing uh, you get this slag formation. It's a, it's kind of a uh, material that forms on the inside of the tube, especially that breaks off, can break off through vibration. It's or, like a, it's like a crust, isn't yeah, it? it? It's, 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 all, like it's nasty a, stuff. It's like a, a, a thin steel crust. So what happened? They did uh, maybe a thousand or so of these frames this way. Uh, assembled the, f the bikes, sent them over to uh, Duarte and the East Coast facility for uh, to go to the dealers. Dealers were selling them, and then uh, people were bringing them back with seized-up motors. <coughs> and it turned out that the um, slag that was on the inside of the tubing had broken off. There's no oil filter in the oil system on the motors, and it just ran it through the bearings and uh, seized the motors up. <laughs> and uh, they l learned the hard way on that one. And of course, you know, BSA, this is um, the first generation of the oil-in frames. And this is, again, it's typical of BSA. They didn't want to paint the frames black. Um, so they came up with this color, dove gray. And all the frames were going to be dove gray, and it was going to be wonderful. And it was just a nice pale gray. But of course, BSA is like any other English bike, quite prone to leaking oil and throwing gyach all over it. So you'd have a bike with this beautiful gray frame that within about a month had looked like it's a thousand years old. <laughs> so that lasted about six months. So there were a few bugs to work out at the factory. I will admit that. So you started, you got this beautiful BSA and were you racing, you were racing already, but is this when things started uh, to take a turn for you? Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Trackmaster frame with the 650 twins and the, um, you know, Triumphs, you know, had Trackmaster frames and very, the bikes were uh, re more reliable and, um, you know, good handling and it made for some great racing um, and, and safer racing too. So you started winning some races? Yeah, uh, in 1970, I won, uh, you know, six national championship races and um, still got beat out by Gene Romero 
Uh, Damn him! And uh, <laughs> at the Sacramento Mile race, which was a pivotal race for me, um, I was riding a three-cylinder uh, BSA. I wanted to talk to you about that. The the 650s are one thing. I mean, I've owned both. Right now in my garage, I've got a Triumph Trident, which is basically a Rocket 3, <laughs> and a 650 um, Spitfire high piper and they are very different animals and that engine in in the three the three cylinder engine it's more power but it's a big lump of aluminum oh yeah it's it's a, it's a very different animal isn't it it's, yeah. it's a larger bike the well the motor it's you know you don't use the stock frame or anything like that you use a trackmaster frame uh, but the motor width was the problem and um, what would happen like on a mile is you go flying in the turn, you know, about 130, 135 miles an hour. And then uh, Sacramento always had a really wide, nice blue groove back in the day. So when I was riding, um, they had excellent track preparation, which uh, remind me, I'll get back to later, but are, that could be used these days to really widen the groove out. Uh, but anyway, um, with a with a good groove and a mile track and the wider motor, uh, you know it would uh, when you're. It was sort of like trying to finesse something through a turn at high speed, and you were constantly fighting. Uh, with trying to roll the throttle on at the same time the left side of the motor case the primary case was unloading the rear tire uh, traction wow. because it's taking more weight off the tires because you have to have it leaned over a certain angle in order to be able to have the center of gravity uh, correct and the, the tire tread uh, hearing to the surface of the track to the maximum. You're trying to work all these things out and at the same time finesse the throttle on and trying to get it on as quick as you can, but you're just fighting this little area of, 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 of trying to get it to, to head out of the turn so you can raise it up a little bit, you know? And I'll tell you, to do that at every turn <laughs> took a toll on you, but if but the payoff was down the straightaway, and um, especially if you get behind another rider, just go flying by them, um, and if the motor's running good. So it seems like that box of books from Ford has come in handy because you've become quite the good mechanic. So much so, you were your own mechanic for many years. Yes. Yeah, and still am. <laughs> yeah, still are. Nice. But, uh, yeah, I always uh, got as much enjoyment out of working on the bikes, preparing them and stuff like that, as I did racing. And, uh, you know, Dick Mann prepared his stuff, and quite a few guys back at that time frame uh, worked on their own equipment. Um, and it was just, I don't know, it was this very special time period when... You know, you had a lot of great racetracks to ride on. Uh, there were a lot of people that would show at the races. I mean, that's a, that's something that we have to talk about a little bit because at the San Jose Mile or, or San Jose Half Mile, the stands would not only be full, but there would be people up against the chain link fence. There would pe be people oh, on the wow. outs outside of the turns, you know, yeah. as whatever they could get away with, you know. I mean, there were thousands and thousands of people 
And I remember uh, one of the thoughts that stand out in my mind is a 1972 San Jose um, half-mile race. And, um, you know, I got a fairly decent start. And I, uh, going into the, it had a narrow groove that was close to the inner fence. And let me explain, explain mm-hmm. on the inner fence. Mm-hmm. It had, as the uh, four by four posts were put vertically in the ground and went around, the, you can imagine a, a half mile radius turn. And then you put straight boards in between them at each point on uh, each post where the two boards came together, they were both at different angles. And so there would be a sharp point there where the two boards joined and it would stick out a little farther than what you perceived. Like if if the groove was right uh, really close to where your left shoulder would be, um, you know, coming really close to the posts, mm-hmm. uh, each post on the right radius of the turn. Uh, you don't realize when you're riding sometimes, as I didn't. And I was, I was trying to keep as close to the fence as I can because the groove was only a foot and a half or, or two feet wide. And if you slipped off of that, you get into what they call a fuzz. And it's this no man's land where if you uh, if you uh, go into that, you're either going to go off the groove completely and lose time and people will pass you and then you're fighting to get back on the groove again. It's something you don't want to do. And I always tried to stay on the inside of the groove. So it gave me a little more fudge room in case the bike's drifting and, and with the higher speed and the acceleration around the turn. And in doing that, your left shoulder is getting closer to the point where the two boards join at each fence post around the radius of the turn. And I happened to um, be leading, and I thought, I got to make sure that I can get, you know, on the inside of this as much as I can because I'm carrying max speed here and I'm starting to drift. And just then my left shoulder hit the two points and this is going maybe oh, about geez. 85 miles an hour oh. well it took both my hands off the handlebar and uh the next thing that happened is my whole upper body fell on the gas tank because you aren't like tensed up when you're riding surprisingly like on a half mile you just kind of relax and and uh, i don't know that's the best way i can explain I it i cannot yeah, imagine yeah, yeah. relaxing <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, I, the chicken wing this. thing i've no. heard this yeah, i've totally heard this it. before yeah if you're, it, it, it's it just allows you to uh, feel things better and to mm-hmm. and and to not wear yourself out because aerobically you know, a groove's not too bad, um, you know, but at the same time, when you're tucked in really good and tight, it's hard to breathe. You know, you're, um, you're, you're leaned over on top of the gas tank, and I had a hard time being able to take deep breaths. You know? You're not a very small guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was in stature, um, you know, probably on a large side compared to the other racers, especially Mark Brelsford. Um, she means tall. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I guess we should point out that, hey, Bex has joined us. Hey, hey guys. Happy to be here. Aloha. All right. So you're doing this high speed going down. Your shoulder clips 
What happens? Well, it pulled pulled my left hand off, and then uh, and then uh, my upper body just was on the tank, and both hands were off the handlebar, and there Dick Mann was on the outside of me. And there were there were guys on the outside of me. It's like you just don't pull over, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, no you know, or whatever. I had no place to go, and uh, and I was struggling to get my hands back up on the handlebars. So you haven't crashed yet. No, no, but but I realized when I went to lift my left arm up, I couldn't lift it up to the handlebar right oh, no. away, and I thought, oh man, I broke my shoulder. I got a broke. I must have broke my shoulder. I just it wouldn't. My arm wouldn't operate, mm. and and finally, I just somehow or other got it up on there. But I didn't really have any strength in that arm. And uh, to make a long story short, I uh, went around and uh, ended up, um, you know, finishing really well. But oh, no, no, what? No, hold With on. With one arm hanging. You off. went around finishing more than really well because you got yourself back up to the front. And who was who was in the front with you? Oh, uh, Nixon, Gary Nixon. And you two were battling it out. Yeah, uh, but anyway, anyway yeah. that was uh, it was a pretty interesting day, you know. And and uh, but I went to the hospital <laughs> after the after the race, <laughs> Alexian Brothers, and and locally, luckily, locally, uh, luckily, um, you know, it didn't break my shoulder, but. By the time I got to the hospital, there was this softball-sized lump on the back of my shoulder, Ooh. which it took a while for that baby to go down. <laughs> I remember soaking in the tub that night, and I thought, oh, boy, this is not good. <laughs> Hard to get a T-shirt on, So it's just a massive, massive bruise? Yeah, like it wasn't well, dislocated. It, was just, it wasn't broken. It was broken. just like this pocket that had filled up with blood. Oh, and, uh, nice. And what were you writing? Were you writing the triple? No, that was when I was on my twin. So that wasn't your worst uh, wreck on a track, was it? No, it wasn't. What What would be your worst? Oh, Bosley really wants to come up and join you. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most. This is the most high energy oh, I've ever excited. seen. Right. He's so right. excited. Did somebody give him crack? <laughs> like so. What was the worst crash you, you've had? Is uh, it the most famous crash? Yeah, I, I'd probably say that the Sacramento Mile. Now, for those who don't know, this was made even more famous because it was featured in a little movie that many people have seen called On Any Sunday. So, um, tell us about this crash. Uh, well... You or, know. or would you rather forget <laughs> about it? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough, tough one for me because, uh, you know, my goal was to always be a number one rider and uh, the Sacramento race was, uh, uh, you know, Gene Romero and I had this battle going on for quite a few races and it's leading up until you know the end of the year and Sacramento was just maybe one or two more races after that and uh, and anyway um, that really messed me up at the Sacramento and then uh, um, when I came back after that sort of the writing was on the wall you know uh, Gene won the Sacramento race and then he won the Ascot half mile and uh, and then I ended up number two rider 
and the following year they um, did a new number system where the number you had on your bike was uh, related to how you finished in points. Mm-hmm. So number one rider got number one, and so on and so, so forth. So it you can be candid, Jim. It's just us in here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what What was your relationship like with Gene? I mean, were you friendly, competitive, or was there ah, was there some real animus there? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I'll just put it this way: uh, <laughs> we didn't really hang out together, okay. or, <laughs> or chit chat, or uh, you know, tell each other jokes or anything like that. It was more like a. Uh, so I guess you could say in a way it was mutual respect by just giving the other person space to do his thing and and then best man wins right. kind, of, kind of thing rather than than some vendetta where you hate the person and stuff like that. And what about, what about this kid, this this little snotty kid, oh, Kenny, Roberts. Kenny, Kenny Roberts? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, what a talented this guy. little brat who comes up and he's just fast as fury. Oh yeah, and he was he fast out of the gate? Oh or? yeah, yeah, he was just. And he had, a, you know, a good Yamaha too, you know. And uh, but you got to give Kenny full credit. He was he's a really good all-around rider. I uh, have I've got nothing but respect for Kenny, but you know, he he spanked my hero probably 10 years after Sheen. you first saw him, which Sheen. was Barry Sheen. Yeah, Barry Sheen. Yeah. Um I mean, what a talent. But yeah, but for you Sheen wouldn't s- shut up and he was his own demise and that Well, respect. you know. I mean, Barry <laughs> Sheen was Barry Sheen. Well, and and most people know Kenny for his road racing right. because a lot of people start out right. in dirt and go to road racing. Mm-hmm. Jim, how about you? Um, well, before I get into that, I just thought of something about Kenny that oh, yeah. for, for me was really a high, one of the high points in my memories. But was, I think it was a 71 San Jose Mile. And the day started off unusual for that track because I remember there was some kind of freak rain or something like that uh, during the week or a few days earlier or something. But the track was different uh in the beginning of practice it was it was uh, it had more moisture in the ground and so instead of being more of a narrow groove you could uh ride pretty much anywhere uh on the track in between the third and fourth turn and then the first and second turn i'll take that back third and fourth turn had the groove next to the pole first turn if i remember correctly you could you had more leeway and you could ride uh you know um farther off the pole pole area and uh as the day went off on it got you know drier and drier which changed that a little bit but to make a long story short on that in the national of that day is one of the most it was one of the best races of my entire life and and kenny would he would um he would pass me every time and go through the first and second turn i could not beat him through the first and second turn and then the third and fourth turn i was doing better and through that turn than he was and so anyway to make a long story short we kept swapping positions like this he'd go get the first turn second turn i'd get third fourth but i knew the last lap kenny had been watching me for all these laps and i knew he was going to pull something out of his tricks uh coming on going into the third and fourth turn and you know he got 
a little more of a lead coming out of the second turn than normal because he just bonsaied the first and second. And I was trying my best to get around the groove as fast as I could because I knew he'd do that. And then tucked in as tight as I could going down the back straightaway. And we went into the third turn and I went on the groove and I went into the turn as deep as I could get in and I was carrying every bit of speed I could without getting out of shape on the groove because I didn't want to lose time with having the rear tire slip too much and at the mean at the same time I see him hauling his butt around the outside and he's getting the drive and getting set up to, to head down the final straightaway and I knew it was going to be close and I'm telling you I put my feet on the pegs and and tucked in earlier and I had the throttle on a little earlier and I was just fighting for control and I got a good drive out of the turn went down the front straightaway I tucked in tried to make the turn as tight as I could and get on the inside of the straightaway so I could have less distance and he's coming got the drive out of the third turn and coming down the straightaway right in front of standing room only people <laughs> People screaming their heads off and I just got the front tire across the line and he went by about 15 mile an hour faster and I ended up winning the race. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I'll tell you, that night and that... Jim, that, you, you yeah. just had me on the edge of my seat. Dude, that was like, fantastic. That, yeah, oh you're, my God. You're a rock star. Well, yes. I don't that, know about that. That's but, awesome. But to... Um, but to glory to, days, to, indeed. Oh, my God. To be able to race against a quality uh, guy that Kenny is, you know, and then to best him maybe uh, one time out of I don't know how many... Uh, you know, made me feel good. You think and you could still take him? Yeah. <laughs> I think you could. I think no, you could. No, no. So, did that, did this transfer over to road racing for you? Well, I had Kenny. You know, he's an unbelievable road racer at international level. He's all right. There's <laughs> there's no way I'm going to beat him road racing. You know, or even be competitive with him. But, uh, you know, at the time period when I was uh, road racing, you know, the BSA and Triumph factory riders had, a, had the best uh, three-cylinder BSA and Triumphs with uh, wind tunnel tested fairings. And uh, it was really first-class stuff, you know, at the time. And I remember at Daytona, uh, they go like 160 mile an hour was about the best. I think Gene Romero qualified at 161, and that's going around the oval, uh, wow. not the infield or anything. Just making uh, you know time laps around the oval, and you know uh, you know Daytona is kind of interesting in that at 160 mile an hour. It's a cakewalk to ride, you know, a few inches off of where the banking comes up off flat ground. Wow! You just you just need that sort of angle to to allow the motorcycle to, um, you know, here safely and all that stuff. It wasn't something that you go into the turn and you go like, hey, this thing's going to just lose traction because of the banking so steep, and Italdega is even steeper. 
Um, so it's pushing you into the track. Exactly. So the quicker you're going, it's almost the more traction yeah, exactly. you're getting. And, and you know, you, the fastest way around there is the shortest way. So if you ride two or three inches, you know, up above the flat ground on the banking, that's that's what I did. But the interesting thing was. Um, when you exit the, like say you go into the banking and you're coming out of the third turn onto the front straightaway, uh, there's a portion there where you need to get the bike, uh, instead of heading toward the outside fence, uh, more, going more towards the inside uh, area of the racetrack because it's just shorter distance, you know, and it takes less time to do that. You know, the shorter you can make the racetrack for yourself, the better. But you're, you turn the front uh, clip-ons, uh, you know, counterclockwise to get it to make the exit, and they would it wouldn't turn at all. It would just flex the handle, uh, flex the forks, oh. and and all that kind of wow. stuff. Everything would flex, but the trajectory tra- trajectory of the bike would just go where it's going to go, and uh, and that was somewhat daunting in that. Uh, if you were on the banking and there's a lot of traffic and and uh, there's slower riders and if they ride too low on the banking, you could actually uh, smash into one of them. Mm-hmm. You, it you sounds know. like you had almost no control over where you're going. And, and, and so at the riders meeting, I remember we talked quite at length about the the slower riders sometimes would go up high on the banking and then cut down across the banking mm-hmm. like you're coming down off a hill on right. the exit and if you are carrying you know 30 40 mile an hour more speed and you're going around the center of the height of the banking mm-hmm. and somebody's coming down more vertically it could Collision. be, be a catastrophe you know to the worst and we I remember we talked about getting those guys so they aren't making abrupt you know transitions like that that are off of racing lines that faster guys would be using but you you told me something outside which i'd like to share if i may that you told me you never really took to road racing like you did to the dirt no no you never really got the enjoyment out of it did you not really. <laughs> I think it, he likes dirt. Uh, I'll tell you, it's a very mm. unforgiving uh, uh, sport, you know. Mm. Uh, and the problem is, for me, a dirt track, when you get to the point where um, you're on a half mile or a mile and you're drifting, it's not like one of these things that all of a sudden you lose complete traction and you're going down. It's very controllable, it's isn't controllable. it? If you know you're, what you're doing. Yeah, and you're just wasting time rather than something that's going to be a catastrophe. But, uh, but it's different road racing, you know. Uh, and uh, so that was more uh, something that I had to struggle with a little bit. Um, and also, just having limited experience, you know, you just don't feel it like you do if, you, if you've already put in, uh, you know, five years of racing right. scrambles tracks, <laughs> you know, three times a week. <laughs> well, you know, every American kid has to make that huge leap from junior high to high school. So you can be like... Big man in the dirt, and then you suddenly become a very, very small fish. Absolutely. Yeah. On the street. Hmm. And it, maybe it's kind of a tough transition to make. But you came off at Daytona, didn't you? Uh, yes, I did. And you were, you were clipping along quite well, weren't you? 
Yeah, it was kind of my own fault, uh, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. I was I was talking to friends of mine, uh, Ron Grant and uh, Art Ballman at Daytona, and I said, "Do you got any tips for uh, for you know? I need to turn a little bit better lap times to be a little more competitive." And they go, "How far? Where are you breaking at?" And I and they have uh, yard markers. Uh, 300-yard, 200-yard, 100-yard marker on the front straightaway in front of the grandstands so the riders could pick a breaking point. And I was breaking at the 200-yard marker because I don't want to get too into this, but it had what they call a Fontana break. I know all about Fontana front brakes, but a leading shoe or something? Yes, a dual, dual leading shoe. But what they would do is... You put the front brake, squeeze the front brake lever, and they would uh, they would go on and energize themselves to where they would go on harder without you squeezing any harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it's almost like a servo effect yeah, on it. Yeah, and, and so you go in there and you want to scrub speed off as quick as you can, and so you could limit the amount of time mm-hmm. you waste braking to get to a speed that you can barely make the first turn mm-hmm. without sliding out. <laughs> And uh, and what happened for me was uh, it the Fontanas, like I say, were known for this ener- energizing themselves, and it went on and locked up, Ooh. and I had to let the brakes brakes off, otherwise I would have gone down at full speed, you know, at a, probably 150 miles an hour, and but then I couldn't make the first turn, and I uh, ended up crashing there. And it's coincidental that the uh, track hospital was in this long, like, van that had been converted into a medical van, and it was right in the area I crashed. Ooh, but good, good but, place. But, but set back about uh, 50 yards. Well, when I crashed, the bike was headed towards the, oh, no. this van <laughs> across the grass. Oh, jeez. And I got knocked out right away, and I woke up, I think, about 12 minutes later in the track hospital, and I was pretty shook up, but I, nothing was broken. And I, I remember when I walked out, I looked, and there's this, there's this red fiberglass that from fairings and seats and gas tanks and all that stuff spread from the first turn right up to the the door almost. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And we, we call that a yard sale. <laughs> yeah. I, Front I go, row medical service. I go, oh, that's what happened. But, but you still came off doing, what, 140, would you say? Oh, yeah, at least 140. And, and then... That's a big crash. But the... Yeah bad part was I went I walked back to the uh, you know BSA pits and nobody was talking to me no, no, nobody said anything you know like I thought I thought maybe somebody'd go like hey you okay or something like that yeah. but they were they were angry you know Jeez. they were mad that you know I bailed off of this one-of-a-kind bike you know and and so on and so forth and that was tough for me because I mean I was trying my best even though uh, at that time I just was not a good enough road racer to be able to utilize the technical capabilities of that motorcycle right. and they knew that and but 
they had to support me because I was doing well in dirt track, and they figured, if, you know, if they can help me out with road racing, maybe that's enough to help me out uh, getting points. But uh, Romero ended up winning the race, and he was on the, tra- the Triumph three-cylinder. And then from that point on, BSA could could care less about how I did road racing. Yeah. Yeah. Then they would never give me a disc brake on the front, you know. They just go like, hey, you know. And I thought, these guys are so, so, I don't know how I'd say, I don't want to badmouth them too much, but they're so uh, unforgiving, you know. And, I mean, part of racing is, you know, you do your best, but you make mistakes every now and then. And sometimes it's not your fault at all, and, and it's a mechanical issue, which could maybe even cost you your life, you know. Uh, say the frame broke or something like that Mm. and you took a spill that ended up killing you or something like that Uh, I mean that could happen and or something the motor could tie up or whatever well you were pretty loyal to BSA but then you did switch to Harley at one point right yeah I did Uh, the Harley XR 750s were starting to dominate you you just basically had to have one of those bikes to Mm -hmm. be competitive that to me, um, that took a lot of the fun out of it because, I mean, can you imagine like showing up with all your buddies and it's more grassroots and there's all different brands of motorcycles and guys are trying out two-stroke, you know, uh, right. two-stroke multi-cylinder bikes and and the AMA was was allowing a lot of stuff to go to get out there and give them a shot, you know, which is pretty cool. Uh, but that that all changed, uh, you know, uh, when the Harleys and the um, XR750s and all that kind of stuff. Well, you were able to take that Harley and go back home to Ohio and uh, do a race there, right? Yeah, the Charity Newsies. Uh, <laughs> and, oh, man, that was a day for me. I... I I flew in the day before, had my buddy Jim Crenshaw, who was back there, keep my my uh, Harley from the last race to the week before, and then just meet me at Columbus. I had, you know, nobody helping me out and at the race, and I, and I left my tools back there. Showed up at the race, and um, and the the charity newsies half mile. Everybody wanted to win that race. The crowd, it was a fundraiser for the newspaper boys in Columbus, oh, Ohio. Cool. And, and it made a lot of money for those guys. And, uh, and people came out in full support. And that day was such an interesting day for me. Uh, and it started off with... Um, uh, uh, you know, just getting out there and just sort of being on my own that day, trying to find somebody that I didn't even know to push me, you know, with my bike to get it started and all that stuff. Went out and qualified uh, pretty well, got a front row starting position, and I, well. I think I was the last guy to qualify for the front row. And... Um, and so the fastest heat race winner could pick outside or inside pole uh, as the pole position. So he picked the outside, and I was on the inside. And um, and then anyway, uh, at the start of the national, I uh, 
<laughs> you know, I started the bikes up to uh, get ready. Uh, my Harley started up and it followed the plug. Mm. And I had brought a spark plug and a wrench out. Mm. I, I had pre-handed it to a guy that I didn't even know standing there. And he handed me the wrench. They gave me two minutes. I changed the plug quickly, put the wire back on. And then, uh, and then, anyway, uh, it it fired up. When I fired up again, I just held the throttle like like three quarters of throttle. It was turning like about 6,500 RPMs, <laughs> and you don't want to do that on a motorcycle without a load on it. It's really hard on the motor. But I'm thinking. This thing is not going to follow a plug. It's either going to blow up or <laughs> or whatever, but it's not going to follow a plug again, you know. And anyway, make a long story short, uh, you know, the race started. I got a decent start, and I just went to the outside so I could keep the throttle on the whole way around the first turn without having to back back it off to be, to be on the groove. And, and I was trying to get around there as fast as possible so I could go down the back straightaway out front, and that's exactly what happened. And then I just started riding, you know, high on the banked, you know, it was a slightly banked racetrack, and but it got really rough and holy up there. And so I'm getting the crap beat out of me each turn, you know, and you physically it's hard to describe but you physically have to hold the handlebars as steady as you can because of all these bumps that you're going through at you know like about you know 80 miles an hour 90 miles an hour and uh it takes its toll on you it's like it's like you get no chance to rest well you think you can rest down the straightaway <laughs> but you're trying to tuck in as tight as you can and i'm a you know six foot one a lot taller than a lot of guys so it's harder for me to tuck in really tight and so i try to do it the best i can and I, but you can't breathe as well you can only take like half the oxygen in. you could probably take in just standing up straight and i'm getting I'm getting uh, oxygen deprivation. Mm. You know, I'm, 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 I'm going like I can't, I can't do this, but yet I want to win. You know, so there's this yang yang thing going on. You know, <laughs> and so I'm kind of experimenting with different positions. But to make a long story short, I was able to hang on and uh, just finish just a few feet ahead of Mert Lawwell, who finished second that mm. day. Wow. And then. Oh man, I'll tell you that was a race I'll never forget. It was, it was something else. It was, it was the icing on the cake for me. You and know? was was that your last competitive race? Uh, no, it wasn't the last race, but uh, but I'll tell you that was one sweet national win. Fantastic. And, yeah. And then I get to fly home that night, you know, back to my house in Portola Valley, and that, that was so cool. That's awesome. So you only raced professionally, was it like six six years? Uh, yeah, it was right about that length of time. Um, what, what was the reason for retiring? Um, I don't know. It was, it was kind of a combination of a couple things. Uh, the technology was getting to the point where um, 
uh, you really had to have everything just like perfect, and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and you had to, and guys started flow testing, the, you know, their heads, take them down to Axtell, and you had to get specialized motor work done. And I remember um, talking to some of the other racers about that, and then I thought. Man, I says this is really the end of the racing I love, you know, because for me it was about uh, you know showing up at the races and and a lot of your buddies to be working on their own bikes and this is at a high level, you know, a national champion level, you know, where guys were coming out and they were they brought you know two strokes out that uh, there were certain uh, years you could you could do stuff like that. And, and trying different things. And and it wasn't like a set in stone uh, um, program that you had to have to be competitive. Like everybody didn't have to have XR750 Harleys, you know, mm-hmm. twins, V twins. Mm-hmm. And, but but I'll tell you, they got those XR750s working so good that, that uh, I ended up finally just having to buy one of those and, uh, and give it a run with, to be competitive on that, and the the factory, uh, Dick O'Brien and all those guys. I mean, they really supported their their factory riders. Uh, you know, helped them out uh, to the point that it's pretty hard to be competitive uh, if you weren't one of the factory guys. And I was kind of like a per se factory rider, but I really wasn't because. Because uh, I don't know why. I guess because I that wasn't the brand that I had been using my whole career. I was sort of like a guy that came off of a, a, a good a good run with BSAs over a lot of years, and then and then and then I'm the new guy on the block. You know, kind of like an outsider that's trying to fit in. Uh, and I mean, everybody treated me nice. The heart of the people treated Clyde Denzer, man, great guy. He asked me to road race one of the um, you know Harley road racers at Laguna, and I says, he says, will you do that? And I go, yeah, I'll do that. And I think that was like '71 or '72 or something like that. And I, uh, Cal Raber and I, um, I think I finished 11th there, which was pretty good for um, somebody that wasn't used to the bike and and also the Yamaha 4s were out there and those things had over 100 horsepower mm. and they were light and uh, and you get a guy like Kenny Roberts on one of those things man you know you're talking international racing level you know of kicking butt and he's racing against a bunch of dirt trackers you know that a lot of them had limited road racing experience but you got guys like Cal Rayburn, and uh, who, in my opinion, he was one of the greatest racers. I love that guy, uh, and he was on the Harley team, and he he could have kicked, in my opinion, Kenny Roberts's butt, and I'd tell this to Ooh, Kenny's face too at a certain time period, uh, because that guy was just unbelievable. Uh, road racer and a great dirt tracker and a, and a kind of guy that you can race against and trust. And I, I just want to tell this quick story, but San Jose Mile one year, he and I were in a, the heat race together and we had this drafting battle between the two of <laughs> us to see who's going to be first on when in the heat race. And I don't remember if I beat him or not, but I thought, God, this is like 
this is what it's all about. This is the most fun you can have with a competitor that you're trying to best, you know. And I, I walked up to him after that race, and I says, I says, Cal, I said, you know, that was fun. And he goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> he says, that was great, you know. we got to do that again sometime, <laughs> you know. And I says, any time, you know. Uh, but I admired that guy. Um, uh, he, he was a really good all-around, you know, road racer and um, dirt tracker. And and like I say, I'd, I'd put him in the same category as Kenny Roberts if equipment being equal. Nice. What you got there? Yeah, so Jim, I wanted to go back a little bit. You mentioned how you're racing um, like the San Jose Half and the Sacramento Mile, and there is just standing room only. There's all these people, um, spectators, and uh, and it was in this era where it was like this raw, like homegrown thing and you were talking about how you you moved out of racing when it became more rigid when there is more regulations and things like that and i'm just curious are are we seeing less spectators because we've lost that that homegrown posse basically Mm. well uh to answer your question about when i retired um yeah i mean it was it was when uh, you know most of the guys, if they wanted to uh, to compete on a national level for points and finishing position, uh, you know, you needed to get a lot of help. And Sponsors. Need, yeah, and, and not only that, but you know, you had you had to have your uh, cylinder heads flow tested and mm-hmm. all this kind of more technical stuff going on to allow you uh, the edge to not only have a lot of horsepower but a lot of reliability and uh it wasn't it wasn't so much grassroots anymore and i i remember distinctly at one of the races where i was talking to a fellow racer about this very um situation and um you know i just I said, you know, I really don't like how this is going, and I'm starting to lose some interest because of. I feel it's it's getting to be less rider and more more equipment. Uh, mm-hmm. Like if you could have, a, you know, a faster bike, uh, it would make a bigger difference than being a better a better rider. Mm-hmm. And and uh, for me, I <clears throat> I needed to be more balanced, you know. Like like when I started out, you know, you're both learning together. I was working on my own bike, and I was learning as I went, and I'd learn race to race, and that's where the fun was. And um, and, and when it gets too technical and other people have to do the work for you to be competitive, uh, that's... Yeah, I think a lot of us here at the garage can relate to that because we do work on our bikes and we we're like a homegrown thing and and that has its own beauty yeah there's there's a lot of satisfaction from uh working on your own bike whether it's a race bike or a regular bike i mean just taking it all apart and maybe uh bead blasting the frame uh, painting it putting it back together 
I mean, it sounds like pretty easy and stuff, but if you're going to overhaul the motor <laughs> at the same time, mm-hmm. I mean, you got parts mm-hmm. scattered all over the place, you know, mm-hmm. and and you're trying to keep certain things clean and in an in an area, you know, in an area. In which it's its own kind of win. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. right. And I'm really stoked it that takes, you got takes to- a little bit of planning to to be able to uh, do it properly. And it's fun, and 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 so much satisfaction uh, is derived from preparation. And I feel sorry for like sometimes factory riders that don't do that because there there is, in my opinion, when I was doing it, there was almost as much satisfaction, if not equally balanced, with. Uh, with how you ride when the jockey and the horse are together right. yeah. yeah you know i've said this many many times before on the podcast there's a hundred miles an hour and that's just great but there's a hundred miles an hour on a bike you built mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's a whole different animal mm-hmm. yeah exactly. absolutely it really is nice so what was life like after racing what did you do then well, I was lucky because I had this goal before I quit racing that I wanted to. Uh, um, I, I was living in my um, parents' guest house in Palo Alto, and I wanted to move out of that and have my own place. And I had enough money saved up, and home prices back in '71 were pretty reasonable in proportion to how much money people made Mm -hmm. and uh, i remember my um stepfather um he made about six thousand dollars a year uh driving school bus for los altos district back in those days and home prices you could get a home in palo alto area for uh, $20,000. So for our yeah. listeners, so, we're talking Silicon Valley nowadays. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so for three years of work driving school bus, you could pretty much, if you didn't spend anything on food or anything else, <laughs> you could pretty much yeah. uh, buy a house. It was doable. Uh, like, um, yeah, I think... I think um, I think my mom and dad, stepdad's house on Monroe Drive. Did you buy a fabulous apartment, darling? <laughs> <laughs> no, no apartment. But um, yeah, I saved up my money and and I bought um, five acres in Portola Valley, nice. which oh, wow. is beautiful, which is above the Stanford uh, mm-hmm. area. And you're still up there. In the mountains. Yeah, I love That's that place. Awesome. Um, so anyway. And you continue to ride. Yeah, I ride every weekend uh, on mostly on Sundays at Hollister Hills with. Uh, what are you riding now? Uh, I have ride a Honda uh, 06 CRF 450X. Oh, that's a good bike! Mm-hmm. Oh my yeah, god, a reliable bike, uh, unbelievable. And I ride. I have some <laughs> buddies, uh, uh, John Phillips. He's he's like the. Uh, He's he's a little better rider than I am, and so uh, I can stay up with him and I can pass him, but he passes me back, you know. Unless <laughs> but I mean, hang on, do a CRF 450, that's a proper motorbike. That's, I mean, that's, do you put that on the TT track out at Hollister? Yeah, sometimes. Oh but, <laughs> sometimes, but I, I really just enjoy riding the trails. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's interesting because... Um, the mindset of 
of trail riding, people goes, oh, that sounds like fun and all this other kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. When you get your bike set up right, where your bike's working good, you have the right tires on it, you got the right tire pressure, you got the right balance between your front forks and your monoshock, and you got all these things set up correctly, and then you're used to riding it and you ride these trails frequently, you get in this uh, groove of uh, being able to know when you're right at that edge where any more could just be disaster. Yeah. The and, heads and, are bobbing and, in the room. And, yeah. <laughs> and any less could be not that oh, much fun. Oh, it's the knowledge. <laughs> it's the knowledge. Right. You know, and... God, if it wasn't for motorbikes, I'd be in a straitjacket in a rubber room. It's it's the <laughs> best. It really is the best therapy. So I have a question I want to ask you, but it's not our usual question. Oh, <laughs> no. But it's something that we do ask many people, especially mechanics. And I want to know. Oh, I know what's coming. What your favorite <laughs> tool is. Yes. Hmm. Favorite tool. <laughs> Uh-oh. Everybody has a favorite tool. I hadn't tool. thought about that before. Jeez, uh, I don't know. That one thing that when you're on you, the I, island. I guess is the one that you really need that mm-hmm. you can't find, and then you find it. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite tool. <laughs> Good answer. So you're saying a number 10 socket. Yes. Yeah. In fact, it's funny. It's here in the garage. That's funny the you one that's always that missing. Two weeks ago, I was looking for my 10 millimeter socket. Yeah. It's always <laughs> missing. And, and I said, I can't do anything without that socket. You know, mm-hmm. you know how that common that is. Awesome. Well, I wanted to thank you for coming down here, and I wanted to thank our friend Howard for uh, meeting you and uh, letting me know that you were you were in town and that we you know you may be interested in being on the podcast. Uh, that was yeah. just great, and Jim, I wanted to thank what Howard. A, what a pleasure having you here. It's, mm-hmm. been, it's been an absolute, absolute delight. It's been an honor. Yeah, sorry, really. I missed it. Did you guys meet at Alice's or? Yeah, I uh, mean you're was, right there. Yeah, I was up up in the hills. Do you have a street bike that you ride also? No, I don't. I haven't been riding on the street since oh the sixties. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I know most people once they get into racing they stop riding on the street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had several uh, friends, Les Edwards for one, who um, used to help out Jimmy Odom and stuff like that. And he had the fastest Suzuki uh, twins, and uh, he ended up getting in an accident riding on the street and yeah. got killed. Yeah. And I thought, I'm sorry. and I, especially after he passed away, I thought, man, no way I'm going to do that. And but I used to ride on the street, you know, with my uh, motorcycles and. Uh, and I got away with it, but um, and I don't want to be a downer for guys that are already riding, because because mm-hmm. motors. The cool part about motorcycle people is, in my opinion, they're just not only nice people, but they they love the, usually the combination of riding and maintaining their bikes and hanging out with their friends, riding, going places, and BSA Owners Club and all that kind of stuff. The- Guys, <laughs> yeah, they meet us sometimes, and I, I love going down there and hanging out with those guys, and you know, talking about the Aww. BSAs and all that. Uh, and there are a lot of guys in clubs and stuff. And you know, now that I'm older, I'm in a few days I'm going to be 71. 
But Congratulations. Thanks. But and you, I just have to say, for somebody who lost 12 minutes of your life in an accident on the track, you have got some snappy going on. Oh, good job. <laughs> Thanks. But, uh, what, I, what I was going to say is I'm at the age now where, you know, I'm starting to think about, you know, I got to find some, a group of guys I can get together on a regular basis with and, you know, have a cup of tea or coffee or something and stay, you know, stay connected, you know, because I don't want any more cognitive decline going on other than what I've already got going oh, on. Well, I t- <laughs> I'll tell you what, Lisa, I know this one. This Lisa, is- next time he's getting on your nerves on a Sunday, kick him out of the house, <laughs> come on down here, and uh, we'd love to have you if you want to come and give people pointers and tips on, on how to fix their bikes. Oh, that'd be fun. Oh, it'd be cool. Yeah. Oh, We'd love you, to have you down you, here anytime. You are oh. so welcome down here anytime. Yeah, Jim. I love this area. I'll tell you. Uh, ask Lisa. You, you know, but we we love coming down here and, and hanging out. It's one of our favorite spots. You know, for sure. Well, as it sounds, um, you're familiar with cognitive decline, and one of the most ubiquitous um, uh, therapies or um, prevention is to have a community. A family, whatever it is, yeah. a community, and and that is actually worldwide. Like the what has been shown to preserve thoughts right. and memories, and, and, and who and those better are beautiful. than the BSA Owners Club? Who better? <laughs> or what about the misfits? Yeah, I was going to say yeah. uh, we know that yeah. answer. It's the misfits. <laughs> so yeah, who better? Second chance. If ever us. you'd like to come hang out on a Sunday, we would love to have you, and we may ask you to tell us some more stories as well. Oh. But I did want to thank you for coming down. We really appreciate it. Again, so so proud that. I can add you to the list of people Absolutely. that have, have been down here, been on our show. Thank you for telling your stories. And I would like to say thank you. Oh, oh crunch. The okay. ghost is not <laughs> that happy. That was a big <laughs> crunch. Um, I would like to say thank you to uh, passed out. the lovely <laughs> Lisa, now. Jim's wife, who has sat yes. very patiently throughout yes. this. Yes. I, and thank you. I got I to also give Lisa full credit for hanging out with me for a day <laughs> and doing what's sort of on my agenda and uh, I love her with all my heart and soul and also I want to give a shout out to uh, Rick Smith one of my buddies and Brian Riley and uh, everybody at Keebles and Tom Keeble on Wednesday nights at uh, Barnaby's in Santa Clara uh, if, if you ride motorcycles you want to hang out with some motorcycle people Ooh, go, we like the motorbikes Barnaby's yeah. and Trollman Avenue off of uh, Lafayette on Wednesday evenings and uh and that's a lot of fun. I try to get over there as much as I can and uh, hang out with some real fun people. But uh, anybody want to meet at Alice's? Hell yeah. Right. yeah. Well, and I'll look for you at Hollister. What color red is your CRF? Oh, it's... <laughs> Honda red. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just look for a white Ford van down there. With, and that's me. Nice. Cool. Awesome. Thank, thank you so much for uh, the invite. And it's, it's totally an honor for me to be able to talk to you about something that's dear to my heart and have all this positive vibes and and um, and just sharing of of things you know uh, it makes me feel special and you I are hope, I you hope, are very special I hope <laughs> I hope all of you you know uh, can feel my heartwarm thanks for um, your efforts and and allowing me to spend some time with you and I hope to Thank see you. all of you 
on a regular basis somewhere or sometime again. Thank you. And I wanted to say one of my favorite things about the, the interview tonight is when you were telling stories, you'd close your eyes and I could tell you were going back yeah. in time. And you know, you took us back there. Exactly. A couple of times. I was on the edge of my Red damn seat. Like, right? Yeah. Me too. <laughs> so thank you. We're going to let you go and then we're going to continue on and read some emails. But thank you very much for coming. All right. Thank you. Wasn't that interview awesome, you guys? God, yeah. what? That, it was, that was fantastic. And he signed a picture for us. Is I know we can do this. Liza, we can um, scan that picture and put it up on the uh, Motorcycles and Misfits site, can't we? Can we? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what a competitor. And for me, uh, getting to hear his stories is really inspirational, Mm -hmm. Um, especially how he started just completely on his own, not being one of the factory guys and working on his own bikes, building things up. It's, exactly. Um, yeah, but that's, really where you're, that's where you're at right now, isn't that, it? That's, that's why it's so motivational to me. I sure. mean, it's, um, it's really encouraging to hear that and knowing how successful he was and having seen uh, the movies that he's been in. It's, it's cool. Well, it's riding and wrenching, but also considering some of these accidents that he's been in, mm-hmm. not that bad of injuries because a lot of times injuries is what oh, really yeah. takes people out mm-hmm. so uh, you know he's he's got the reflexes of a cat i don't know but <laughs> just a really nice guy to no real nice guy and you know um he's still even at 71 he's still got an athlete's physique oh, i mean yeah. there's, there's not a there's not an ounce of fat on him that was awesome yeah great guy so um and we very well groomed uh, yes he was of course <laughs> What's he doing? <laughs> He's drinking Fex's drink. He's drinking the gelato. So earlier today, we had an opportunity Yaw. to uh, get a little recording that we're going to insert here. Uh, here's what I think is funny, though. Uh, Brandon oh, said, man. hey, I have a story I want to tell. I told you it was an awful one. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, and and who knew that it was a story that would make him look like an idiot? Was it a story <laughs> about pooping? No. No. <laughs> but, there, but there was a, a cabbage patch and bad decisions decisions involved so we had brandon and uh the vetter boys craig's sons came up and they told this story and let's hear that here we're interrupting this regularly programmed schedule for this story. <laughs> now, let me explain. I got a call from our friend Brandon who said, I've got this amazing story I want to tell on your podcast. I said, well, I don't know that tonight is the right time, but I think I can make this work. Come on up and we'll record it in the middle of the day, drop it into the podcast. Mm-hmm. So with us here joining, we have Brandon Miller, who's been on the show before. Hi, guys. And we also have... Zach and Morgan Vetter. Good evening. Hello. So, apparently you guys have some amazing stories. So important. We need to <laughs> break into our regular regular show. And it's something to do with a Cabbage Patch doll. So, I'm very interested. It's awful. So, what is this story? And it has something to do with, with somebody stranded, maybe? Yes. Possibly. Um, right. So, I, I, I work with Brandon on we're uh, making these... Uh, superchargers that that 
let you recharge your zero motorcycle instead of 13 hours in one hour. Yes. And mm-hmm. we've trying to figure out the best way to put them on the bikes. And something that Brandon came up with a while ago was take the stock zero pan and modify it, drill it out. It's a lot of work, like six hours to chop things, chop things down. The yeah, way it's it really, really awful. It's not something I look forward to doing at all. So we thought, hey, what if we have our own pans specced out and made that fit our chargers and we can just slap them in there? We got a designer to make these, these designs and CAD drawings and uh, got a couple sample ones and made it like, cool. So we were, we're going to have them made locally mm-hmm. and then figure out who's going to make them. So we started looking around uh, metal shops around Salinas and this, this kind of general area. We, we, we've worked with some metal people before, got quotes. A lot of them were, were long lead times or real expensive and or like or the one guy who's like, I don't know what this is. I can't open the file. Like, okay, we checked him <laughs> off the list. Um, but in the meantime, there was another guy in Salinas who said he could do it relatively quickly and uh like you know three or four day turnaround we thought cool i'll uh we'll do that and it was like three in the afternoon and i mm-hmm. look at my phone and there's a text this is done this was the picture. same day right yeah just a picture of the pan and i'm like holy crap it's like three in the afternoon on a week this is okay and brandon's like this is really important to go get this because we need to move on this project so we can get the pans for the customers right. and all this. So he's like, his but my bi- bike was up on the table at this point, and uh, mm-hmm. the battery was low. We we're doing testing with uh, new charger programming. This was before we released the V2.5, and uh, so I couldn't use my bike, which easily has the range to go to Salinas and back without charging. Uh, so I ended up using Zach's bike. <laughs> Which is a, a wonderful bike, but it's a little zero <laughs> FX. It has a range. You can make it to Salinas, not going too fast, and then you're out of out of energy. You need to sit there and charge for a bit. It, it's a 2014 FX too. Like the new ones have like seven point something battery. Yours, yours is closer to like six point five uh, kilowatt or more something. Like, five point like seven. <laughs> five. Okay. And something. it's it's an incredibly fun bike, but not one for distance. Not one for distance. No, it's but it actually fun. is a lot of fun to to use and charge because the amount of chargers we've we've forced onto it right now, mm-hmm. the whole bike can charge in like thirty minutes. Yeah, and this has got a two C charge setup on it. Uh, Zach doesn't have a warranty anymore. Uh, just <laughs> so everybody knows. <laughs> but see, to be fair, when this was started. Brandon explained all this ahead of time, and I was sitting there thinking about it over the last couple of months. I thought, you know, they're not going to warranty this thing anyway. <laughs> Brandon, get over here. We drill holes in this thing, and let's let's see if we can make this thing go. Goes okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wires this thing up. And- and- we, we've, we've put so many chargers and there's wires literally going everywhere so it makes him thrilled because now it looks sort of like um, Bane from the Batman movies <laughs> so he just refers to the bike as Bane because it's got all the hoses coming out of its face essentially he's very happy about this you think you know fast charging yeah. <laughs> I was born in it yeah anyway. uh, you merely adopted the fast charging yes. um, anyway so this is the only bike available to because Brandon's bike's predictably in pieces and has no chargers on it and is at one percent anyway. So <laughs> of course, um, so he's like, okay, I'll just take Bane over, and uh, it, by default, Zach likes to use d- uh, Tesla destination chargers. Um, right, no J plug on his bike at all unless no. you bring this special adapter that Tesla makes, which wow. is pretty awesome. For, for those not familiar, basically every EV station on the U.S. uses J one seven seven two or J plugs. And we, we have the ability to use Tesla destination chargers, which are plentiful here in California, but you got to map out ahead of time. But basically, everything's J-plugs. So Brandon goes over to Salinas and um, 
goes over, grabs the pan. He's extremely excited. You, you met the guy. He uh, well, also it was pretty late in the day, so I was on Zach's o'clock. tiny FX, uh, and I had to make it there in what, like thirty minutes or something. I didn't think you could do oh, it. Oh, I yeah, said it's literally an hour. I said the guy's going to be closed. That's right. You forgot. The, there's a little detail that I set the, the <laughs> clock years ago, and then it like started getting wrong, and I hated trying to adjust it because it would mm-hmm. required. Touching the button. Oh, so that's right. It was like, 20 minutes fast. It's like a 20 point. So, yeah. so this compounds into a perfect storm. Brandon's on a bike that has no legs and no range. And <laughs> the guy's shop is about to close. He's going to hurry to get over there, and he looks at the clock on the bike, which says it's 20 minutes sooner than it already is. So I'm flying over Lorella's grade through the twisties to get to Selena's what, what and uh, just burning through the power. Yeah, because the faster, you, the more aggressively you ride it, the, the faster the, the battery is going to discharge. Now, mind you, I've done this right you know easily 20 or 30 times and but uh, we've learned a lesson from Raleigh free if you had just stripped down your underwear and mm-hmm, laid down mm-hmm. on the bike mm-hmm. you could have gotten better range you know I might have gotten a discount if I did that too. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget the swimming cap yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but so Zach's bike has got 2c charging on it. so I'm like if I make it there with 0% that's fine I'll just plug in and the bike will be charged up in like 15 20 minutes I'll be able to ride back home and you go and visit the guy, and you, you get the pan all as mm-hmm. well. He's mm-hmm. nice. He's he's a little haggard because he's like, this project was a lot harder than I thought it was going to oh, be. Yeah. So um, I think I'm starting to I'm starting to figure this story out. <laughs> so, it has something to do with the Salinas Valley. Um, yes, it does. Okay, I'm, I'm getting there. Now, all of us who who've ridden uh, any kind of EV have probably used the app called PlugShare. Oh yeah, and it's the one that that maps out like Google Maps of every type of. Uh, EV plug there is in the area, and you, this, you you go from point to point. Brandon didn't bother to check plug share to see if there were any Tesla, Tesla destination chargers in Salinas. I mean, it's it's Tesla, right? There nor should did, be everywhere. <laughs> nor did Not you in bring the, the adapter. <laughs> there, the whole there city are, of Salinas has none. There Not are, a single one. There are no Tesla destination chargers in the city of Salinas. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not, no, not only this, but this were they stolen? No, we don't know, but uh, but we will say that that uh, there are Terry and Brandon are there are few people in the world who I think know more about batteries and charging and the nature of how these things interact than Brandon and Terry and. That being said, that being said, <laughs> both their motorcycles and their cell phones reflect their knowledge of this and are perpetually out of battery. They, they both do slightly resemble the Keystone Cops. I'm, I'm now getting a better picture. It's the you know uh, what? I only need to charge for five minutes because that'll get me where I need to go. Then I can worry about a full charge later. Yeah, they don't even. It's like it's like putting yeah, yeah, five yeah, bucks yeah. in the tank and think, oh, it's it's it'd be fine. <laughs> All um, right, so you're so he bombing over the hill. Yeah, he gets the kid. Gets, he gets the ba- the pan. Yeah, so I get the pan, and then I Straps go over to, his, to the uh, backpack like a shiny turtle shell. Exactly. <laughs> I felt like a big ninja turtle. Um, so I get to the charging station, which has J-plugs, and I look at the bike, and I'm like, oh, this is a Tesla bike. I didn't bring the J-plug adapter. Oh, crap. And uh, so I call Morgan up and fill him in on what's going on. And while I'm chatting with him, I'm looking around on PlugShare. I figure out how to get it to where it shows uh, people's private stations. <laughs> and there is one. One mm. person in Salinas that has a Tesla. Not in so Salinas. wait, let's explain. Oh. So people's private chargers are on this. Yeah. If they list, if they them. want to share them. That's right. Interesting. So in that respect, they're not truly private. They're made public, but they're not a station that was but, put in place for yeah. the. So but it's, it's only if they want that listed. This person has clearly. Kind of like how my. 
parents have a charger don't have it listed which is why when I sent you over there to charge and I called my dad to say hey someone's coming to charge he didn't understand what was going on and I heard my mom in the background say who's in my driveway who's going I heard my mom Very shouting and running it's out Bane. the door I'm here to charge they expect to find okay, two of us got it <laughs> yeah so uh, while I'm talking to Morgan I find this guy named Dave uh in Spreckles. Spreckles, right, which is a couple miles away. And I'm at maybe 10 or 12% on the tiny FX. I'm used to being on uh, my 16 kilowatt hour bike where 10 or 12% is, you know, 15 miles of range. I could easily make it there to charge. Uh, FX is a little bit different, though. Yeah, 10, 10%, that's a good solid two or three mile range, maybe, if you're careful, <laughs> and you keep it under 50. Now, mind you, um, these guys both know that the displays on the FX are, oh, and all yeah. these zero bikes are not necessarily to be trusted because uh, you really want to watch the actual uh, voltage. The voltage on the battery itself, usually on your phone. But in a pinch, you can sort of use the display sort as a of. as a guide for what percentage the battery's actually at. But Brandon, knowing batteries as you do, <laughs> did it did you consider the option of just riding at twenty five miles per hour? Too much to do. Who, who rides at 25 miles well, an hour? Well, you, you could practically ride back to Monterey at that. Right? Actually, I, I considered it, but uh, I thought it might be a good idea to go charge the bike. So okay. I had somewhere to be at like 6 o'clock. I actually have, mm-hmm. I, I sing in a quartet, and I had quartet rehearsal nearby. So I'm like thinking he's, he's on his own. You know well, what? nearby where you were, not where I was. Nearby in Carmel Valley. And I, I thought, you know what? I better check on... Because he, he, he sounded like he's about to do something stupid and I have to drive out to Salinas <laughs> with J-plugs trying to find him later tonight. So I better watch before I before I leave what's actually going on. So I've got Brandon's phone on, on Google Maps. I can watch where he is. And I'm watching. And I, it's a very rural area it, it's not it's not a road anymore he's literally in the in the kind of farmland hmm. and i went uh oh and so what happened was <laughs> as i was riding over to spreckles um i ran out of power oh. right in front of a farmhouse and uh, i'm thinking to myself this is not the sort of place where i want to be pushing a bike on the side of the road they're very narrow roads it's rural if i get hit by a truck or something i'm just going to be laying there on the side not in good shape. So I look over to the right, and there's a dirt road leading off into the cabbage patches. Brilliant. <laughs> and at one point, does this seem like a good idea? Well, it gets me off the road in Spreckles, and that was good enough for me. And there's also the potential that it could have been slightly shorter, like by a quarter mile. Um, so I was looking forward to that since I was pushing uh, a motorcycle. He's pushing a black motorcycle wearing a black leather jacket in Salinas on a sunny, warm day. With, with a big giant, giant metal pan, pan on, on my back. back. Oh. He doesn't carry cash on him, so he's got no money. Uh, mm-hmm. His phone is, is near dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, his bike's completely dead. And he's hoping he can find Dave and Spreckles <laughs> with a Tesla destination charger in his in his garage and say, "Hey." Well, thankfully, because of you guys always ragging on me about my phone always being dead, I uh, decided to look at the GPS and memorize how to get to Dave's house <laughs> uh, because I figured at some point my phone's gonna die. Did it? I'll let Morgan in. Yeah. So I'm watching. <laughs> I, I, I I see him in the in the back roads there, like just and the dot's not moving. I'm hitting refresh every couple minutes, and it it moves like half an inch on the zoomed in map. And I'm like, I send him a text. You uh, you pushing your bike there, buddy? No response. <laughs> yes, you are. No response. And I'm slowly watching refresh every few minutes, and it slowly ticks down, and then he makes a a left hand turn, and slowly ticks, and I'm, I'm watching, and then it stops updating. 
<laughs> and I go, that's his phone. <laughs> he has no phone. <laughs> he has no motorcycle battery. He's got no mm-hmm. cash. Mm-hmm. He's in the middle of a cabbage patch. Strapped, <laughs> middle of a cabbage patch <laughs> so with a metal Brandon. pan strapped to his back, wearing a black leather jacket in the Selena's sun. So, <laughs> he might live. <laughs> so back to Brandon. What was going on? You were going through this field, right? And things okay. were going just dandy. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it wasn't nearly as bad as I expected it would be because it was fairly hard-packed dirt, freshly packed. Um, and your bike is crazy light compared to mine. Your bike is like 200 pounds, and it's mine is like bike. 400. Did, did so, you consider putting the bike on reserve? This is exactly why they should do it. There should be a reserve because everyone's going to do this, yes. running out of juice, and then oh. To be fair, well, this is I not did as well. Most okay. I've done it do. myself. Like uh, everybody, like most people don't plan on doing a seventy-mile trip on a bike that has a thirty-mile range. <laughs> um, yes. But what are you so, looking at me for? <laughs> as I'm, I'm pushing here. through the cabbage patch, uh, <laughs> I get to an it's area. Stupid every time I say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I get you an area where the sprinklers are now on in the field. <laughs> and the hard packed dirt is uh, very rapidly turning into slippery, sloshy mud. Oh. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is how I die. I'm going to fall face down in Selena's mud, and Zach's bike is going to fall on top of me, and I'm just going to get <laughs> suctioned right into it and suffocate. And as you're pushing it, I think the wheels are getting larger and diameter. Oh, yeah, they're getting bigger and bigger, like just collecting more and more mud around the outside. Were and the- my boots are getting heavier because my feet are like like Sasquatch feet at this point. Were the buzzards circling overhead? Yes. <laughs> No, no, not, not yet. That's how I knew I was still possibly going to make it. Plan to fend them off with a giant aluminum so, belly pan. I just have to wow. ask, can it get any worse? Yes. <laughs> Actually, it does get better. <laughs> it, it gets better, then it gets worse, then it gets better, then it gets worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so what'd you do? So I make it to Dave's house. Well, um, you, you called him first. On, 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 no, no, my phone was dead. Before your phone died, you actually called him. Yes? No. No. Oh, you just showed up at his house. I just showed up. Oh, oh. You're so yeah, what are you I did. Talking about? I called, called him, him before I went over. Actually, before I even went towards Spreckles, I called him, and he's like, "Wait, you have a motorcycle, and it uses a Tesla connector?" I'm like, yeah. He's like, "Well, can you make it here?" Maybe, but I'll find out. And he's like, "Well, if you make it, we'll charge you up. No problem." Cool. Uh, so that was really exciting. Thank you, Dave. Um, and uh, so after making it through the treacherous mud, I uh, would uh, I was stomping my boots off, trying to make them like a couple pounds lighter with and all the mud. And sweating and dehydrating. Yes, I was. Yes. And uh, trying to roll the bike around so that it would uh, shrink the wheels down, get all that mud off of them. <laughs> but I finally made it to Dave's house and uh, got to the door, rang the doorbell. His son came to the door and uh, they're like, wow, you had to push the bike? That's, that's crazy, man. Uh, sorry, but you got to push it another block and a half because you got to get around to the back of the house oh no <laughs> yeah so, so go ahead take over at this point yeah so i thought you know i'm watching the stop dot and his phone's dead i'm thinking i'm gonna have to roam the streets of spreckles with a j plug <laughs> looking for brandon and because there's a church on the east side of town that has j plugs so we're gonna this is what i'm gonna have to do after my after mm-hmm. my quartet rehearsal like well mm-hmm. shit and i think you know what i'm actually fairly decent at find, fi- finding people unfortunately i didn't realize that the guy's phone number was in plug share like if you just clicked on that that didn't stop you though yeah so <laughs> i i looked at the address and used his name punched a few things in done some searches and found that he owned a local business the beer was a number attached to it i called woman picked up and I said hi you don't know me um <laughs> dave there and she's like yeah no problem and uh, then dave picks up hi as dave hi you don't know me um <clears throat> do you have a 
Tesla destination charger in your home, in your garage? Like, yeah. Do you know a guy named Brandon? <laughs> like, oh, good. He's alive. <laughs> so he's like, do you want to talk to him? I said, nope. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you hydrate him. He's probably almost dead. <laughs> so uh, at that point, Dave and his family, very, very nice family. Uh, the two businesses that they own are Koa Ice and Doorbell Dining in Spreckle, Salinas area. Um, I really appreciate their help. So uh, if you live there, please use them. Cool. And uh, but so he gave me water. They offered me a burrito. Um, but ha- by charging the- your phone by any chance? Nope. No, they didn't have <laughs> yeah. a USB C. Unfortunately, they looked, uh, but they didn't. And of course, he didn't bring now, the deck. I'd here. like to interject no, here for a, for a minute here mm-hmm. because Brandon has just had to push a bike a great distance in the very Over uncomfortable two miles. condition. He has just arrived at a plug that, with the chargers he makes, will allow him to fully charge the bike, completely charge it in less than forty-five minutes. That's the, if he sat around and did nothing, he's going to be completely full in that time. Yeah, he's yep. just arrived. They're offering him food. They're offering him water. Take it away, Brandon. What thank did you, you decide for to do? The stage. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, so by the time I had finished uh, the large mason glass of water that they gave me, uh, it had probably been about 25, 30 minutes, and I figured that I'd be at 75 to 80 percent, more than enough to make it the 27 miles back to uh, Carmel. And uh, so they were super surprised at this, and we went out and took some pictures. And uh, sure enough, I turned on the motorcycle and looked at the SOC since I didn't have my phone to check the voltage. Which is what we normally always insist upon because the SOC yes. is not to be trusted. Can't mm-hmm. trust the lot. But he looked at the SOC and it said? It said 75 to 80%. Great. Yeah, so I'm like, this is excellent. I'm just going to bomb back to Cal... Uh, Carmel. Not drive not drive cautiously. Well, I have plenty of juice. Plenty right. of juice at this point. Because clearly the bike's gauge has told you that it has plenty of juice. <laughs> and Zach's never said to you, Brandon, if you drive it really fast, you will completely drain yourself and sometimes not even make it. If you're but it's okay. Careful. He didn't start in Salinas. Yeah. He started south of Salinas in Spreckles. That's, that's but correct. here's the thing. You miles only have to get halfway and you could coast. <laughs> The rest of the world. Um, you know, I've you, done the... It's uh, get there. It sounds like you heard this story. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so, I uh, I get almost to the summit, and I realize... The summit of Lorellis grade. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I realize that uh, I still have tons of power, so I'm just going to keep going. And uh, then I realize that the power starts to cut back, and I'm thinking, oh, well, I must have overheated the motor riding this way up the mountain. Um, but as I just pass over the crest the bike turns off oh no <laughs> Again. um actually it doesn't turn off it just really cuts the power back and i'm thinking okay well i may stop and charge if i need to i get to a place at the bottom of the mountain called bernardus lodge yeah. and uh, right as i get there it goes from like 15 percent to eight percent to zero percent in a couple of feet this happened to me on that same model when we had our day at zero doing test rides mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, you should be good on this bike. And I got on it, and mm-hmm. I watched that number go down and down. And that is extreme anxiety. Yeah, it's not <laughs> something that normally happens unless yeah. you are abusing the bikes uh, like I was doing or like you might do at a demo day when you've got hundreds of people coming yes. in. Yes. But... All this is not a problem because he pulled into Bernardus Lodge where That's they have right. Tesla destination chargers. Another not charger. a problem. Full, uh-huh. beautiful, fully powered Tesla destination chargers. That's right. 
And it's only a couple miles. Yeah, you're from not the far range. from right. It's only oh, a couple okay. miles. So you know, obviously, just charge up for ten or and fifteen or twenty minutes. Oh, nope, no. nope. What, what nope. did you do? Mind nope. you, Brandon's oh. very smart. He knows better than us. Mm, <laughs> so he charges for. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So this guy comes over and talks to me about the bike, and he's like, "Wow, that's so cool!" Because we're plugged in, uh, plugged into the connector, and. Uh, I talk to him for about five minutes, and then I look over at the SOC, which is uh, state of charge, and it's at 33%. More than enough. More than enough. More than, more than enough. enough. It's, it's been. It it's it's a real 33%. You can trust what it says. That's it's, an accurate it's number. It's been Since more than four minutes. you got to get be getting home, obviously. You can't just sit there and charge <laughs> Should I wait for bike. five more minutes? No, no, no. Absolutely not. I Absolutely. promise. <laughs> Would I lie to you? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. So now I get back on the bike with my 33%. That should totally make it back. Totally. And uh, not a problem. I bomb on it back to the ranch. Of course, again. of course, aggressively ride back because why not? Which is downhill all the way to the street that goes back to the ranch, which is now to, to be fair level to slightly uphill. To, to be fair, I've I've driven I've since I have such a small range on that bike and I'm driven mm-hmm. around. I can describe distances in percentage real yeah. percentages. Yeah. So Bernardus to the house is fifteen percent, fifteen real percent. Okay, so then I was accurate in thinking I had more than enough to ride the way it, I wanted. Yes, you that. sure were. All right, so what'd you do? So <laughs> you hit the throttle hard. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I did. Open that sucker up. And uh, a couple miles later, I, I don't know how many miles, but uh, at Mid Valley, right? Yeah. So this is now mm-hmm. really close to the Vetters. Uh, there's another road that I could have turned off on to get more charge, but oh, I wasn't at the 20%. So Palma I didn't Valley need to. Ranch has like a array of six brand new Tesla Huge destination chargers. Group Look how many yeah. you get out of jail free cards have been presented to him, <laughs> and yet he still manages to go through each one. I said 20%. So, so he rounds the corner to Mid Valley Shopping Center and. 8%, 0%, power <laughs> off. <laughs> so I just. I tip it in as hard as I can to make the corner to get into Mid Valley. The shopping center. And uh, then stop in front of like an Ace Hardware or something, get off the bike and start pushing it. I, but this is where Morgan is. Meanwhile, I'm over, I actually have quartet rehearsal over it. If you're familiar with Jeffrey's uh, Grill and Catering, the restaurant there, I, I'm, I sing with Jeffrey and I'm in his restaurant and I turn around and I see. Brandon with the FX slowly limping towards me, kind of shuffling. Like a silver ninja turtle. <laughs> and I just, I stared at my, I just, are you serious? And I just handed my phone and just go away. <laughs> at this in, point, have some water, but here's my phone. Just do what you need to do. Oh my God. So at this point, you. I've been hearing all this secondhand. I was working on computer stuff back at the ranch and, you know, Morgan would give me an update saying, yeah, I think he's out. And they said, well, he might we be dead. Get, yeah. <laughs> so if it gets dark, we'll go out and look for him and figure out what's going on. And bring, so I get a Wolf call. I get a call from Morgan's phone. I go, okay, what's going on, Morgan? He goes, hi, Zach, it's Brandon. I'm like, ah, you're there. He says, well, I'm out of power, and we don't have any sort of way to plug into a one Mind you, Mind you, there's no charging in Mid-Valley Shopping Center. There's nothing. There's, there's no J plugs. There's, there's one ten no plugs. A wall outlet. Which we mm-hmm. don't have the adapters for because I don't use those anymore. So, and that would take eight hours or ten so, hours to do so anyway. So he calls me up, and he, I go, okay, fine. So I get in the car, drive out, get him, bring him back. To the ranch, he fabricates up a 110 plug. I drive him back out to the bike, oh, which is parked next to the entrance to Safeway. Mm-hmm. And I know where the 110 plugs are because I used to have to use them all the time mm-hmm. before I got good charging for Brandon. So I go, Brandon, the. P- oh, there's. 
like pa- three pallets of water yes. stacked Locking in front of the charge. I'm like, huh. son of us. So <laughs> Zach starts <laughs> moving them out. Digging through the pallets <laughs> to get the water. Basically holding Brandon by his ankles, like yep. to dangle yep. until he can grab into the wall <laughs> socket. In behind the pallet so that I can plug this thing in. Wedging a power, you know, wedging the 110 in there. And it's an extremely low power 110. Well, exactly. So the charger keeps cutting he, off. He has to, oh, we have to, we have to we drop down to like power 900 down. watts or something yep, like that. Yep. Anyway, the point is, is that I said, okay, Brandon, we're not doing this again. Here's what we're doing. I'm hungry. We're taking the car. We're going to go get some food. And then we're going to go charge the car. It's and a, we'll, the Tesla, yeah. Yeah, and then we'll come back. And within an hour or so, it'll have enough real power, no matter what the thing says, <laughs> to make it the measly three miles it needs to make it. <laughs> yeah. So we drive out there. We get our food. We, we charge the car up. We're driving back. And we go, oh, Where's your helmet? <laughs> well, also, Morgan is an amazing, amazing chef. And uh, we were very excited to oh, get back because cooking, yeah. you were sous vide elk burgers, if yeah, I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, that's that's right. right. Sous and, elk. And Zach gets hangry. So <laughs> when he heard that the elk burgers were ready, he actually has notifications on his phone <laughs> when the sous vide is done. The, the sous vide actually talks to our phones. And it's, <laughs> and it's, on, it's on the Wi-Fi, so it actually <laughs> will alert you. It's like, your meat is ready. Like, oh. <laughs> so when he heard that ding, he's like, okay. <laughs> We're going. <laughs> we're, we're not going to go back to get your helmet, Brandon. <laughs> I say, here's what we're going to do. You're going to get on the bike. You're going to drive right behind me. Just ride my ass all the way home. It's just a few miles. There's not going to be any cops around. Just shut up and do it. So I drove back and made it home. I don't really have a leg to argue on at this point. Uh, so His credibility has been shot. <laughs> so get on the bike. We're going back to eat food. Yeah. So we made so it back. The, the made it back. And in the end... Uh, I, I will say that the pan looked great, but the machinist had literally mirror-reversed it. Yeah, it was exactly oh, backwards. No. <laughs> so all of that effort was for a failed engineering sample. So what was your takeaway lesson from this, Brandon? Um, I know I can get enough power in five minutes, but maybe I should wait six. <laughs> six. six. <laughs> Also, maybe get an auxiliary battery for your phone. <laughs> oh, oh! So I have started uh, carrying my phone charging cable with me. Good call. And uh, Good. Carol, uh, the boy's mom, are she's uh, offered to get me a bracelet that has a battery built into it, so Ooh. that way I am never without power. Nice. Awesome. If you remember to charge it. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> power two is the problem. Plugs the bracelet into the bike. I can get actually a couple feet with this. Yeah. <laughs> you would, too. <laughs> Though the fact that you, that you persisted on this trek, I think at the first moment I would have bailed. Well, I'm like, I'm out. Here's the thing. It's totally my fault. I mean, I could have waited two or three minutes more, and I wouldn't have had any of these problems. Or, in the first place, I could have just not forgotten my connector. Well, but mm-hmm. here's the thing, though, the is that... Way. Yeah, yeah. It, it, don't forget the, your connector. Here's the thing, though, is that we've we've all gone through that with electric motorcycles. I've been riding my whole life, and the first thing I did with that Zero that I made a mistake on is I went to Salinas, but I didn't have his superchargers. I went mm-hmm. out there, mm-hmm. and I got stuck at a gas station for four hours, and I couldn't take it anymore and tried to drive home, ran out of power at the top of Lorella's grade, oh. had to call one of my friends say, can I please go to your garage and plug in for another hour? Nice. So, Brandon's, I'm sure, experienced that on his own and that's what inspired him to make these fast chargers, so it's almost even more damning. He's got he's experienced how bad it is and he's he's made a solution to charge it so fast, but he wouldn't even wait for his solution. Your, your FX probably has the fastest charging of any zero motorcycle no, on is, the road, it but it wasn't fast enough for But I, ha- I have a feeling... I have a feeling in a couple years when his 
super hyper quick charger mm-hmm. is coming to market. He'll use this story as the the impetus Don't get for stuck the stuck like me. This is why I needed to make a better charger. I, Let oh, me tell you about I the com- cabbage patch. <laughs> <laughs> this is a story that's going to stick with me for a while. <laughs> I think I think actually when I first saw Zach, he pulled up to the grocery store with the Tesla and he said, "You know, you're the dumbest smart person I know." <laughs> and I couldn't argue with him. I think that's awesome. Well, thank you guys for coming in and sharing that story. Mm. Just there's too much anxiety in it for me. I just I don't think it's going to help sell any more zeros right now. I think the no. best part was the fact that, you know, usually you think of these stories as like, well, I was out and I had to go 350 miles and I almost didn't make it and then I crawled my way there and then I was safe. Brandon literally had like an oasis a, after oasis night. offered to him. I, I don't need no, no, don't, no, don't, don't need no, it. Don't need the oasis. Good. We're good enough. I can make it. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Fly straight, boy. That's all I have to say. I'll try. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Bye. That was that was really stupid, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that was something. Zach is definitely uh, right. I'm the dumbest smart person he knows. And you're not helping uh, electric motorcycle sales at all. Well, e- a- even though you're making the, the chargers, <laughs> make, it's just the whole thing. Look, it's a whole people thing. who get these bikes are not going to be as dumb as me. Let's so, just say, uh, oh please, Brandon, that electric bikes are not in a place yet that they're great for impatient people. That's right, especially yeah. if you buy the smallest possible electric bike, <laughs> yes. which is what I did that day. Yeah, and and ride it too fast. Yeah, and probably like three times its range. Yeah, I couldn't okay. have taken a car. Nice, good job, <laughs> no, good no. job. But there's been a lot of other things going on this weekend. And hey, Liza, Miss Emma, you have some coverage for us. What did you do this weekend? Well, would you like to know where I was yesterday? I would love to. Laguna Seca. Where? Ooh. Laguna Seca. Isn't that Race. right? Where it, are you? It's a <laughs> to, <laughs> to bike. <laughs> yeah, Brandon. Yeah, basically. Okay. It's a motorbike right race. It's a racing track. Yes, it is. Oh, is it? yes, it is. Yes, it is a motorbike racing track. And, of course, I am lucky enough that I live about 15 minutes away from it. So, um, it was a beautiful... Oh, God, it was a fantastic day yesterday. So, um, I managed to get some tickets. What was going on? World Superbike! And? It was super. And? Mm-hmm. I went. Moto America. <laughs> yep. Yes. Yep. And, uh, so... A couple of people I'd like to thank. I'd like to thank the Parts Unlimited guys uh-huh. who um, wind and dine me. And basically Is that turn six? Turn five. Turn, or turn five, yes. I've been in the tent uh, before. It's they, nice to be wind and They dined. are so gracious, and they made me feel very, very welcome. And um, very, very long, uh, long story, cut it short... Big congratulations to Jonathan Rea, the young Irishman, who won. Oh, uh-huh. yay. Um, and, you know, it really was a two-bike race. It was um, Jonathan Rea on the ZX-10, and the guy who actually came in second, um, Chas Davis on his Ducati. And that was it. And they were so far ahead of the rest of the pack. Um it was a blistering hot day. I would say it was probably in the 90s. I heard a couple of people say that conditions, the 
track itself was about 116 degrees, which didn't surprise me. Um, quite a few people wadded. I went up to uh, the corkscrew about halfway through the race, and um, the Spaniard, and I forget who he is, he just smashed is mm. a prior up completely Ooh. right in front of me um and that was the conditions i mean people were getting squirrely um out of the turn you could you could see a couple of them putting their bikes sideways but jonathan Ray is fast he's a fast guy and that zx10 is the way to go i like super bikes i mean i've mm -hmm. always I know MotoGP's really where it's at, but you know the super bikes, you can relate to them. I mean, they look like the bike you rode up on. They kind of sound like the bike you rode up on. The only disappointment for me is that I feel like if you're riding a super bike, you should be wearing a cape. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there is that. When you put on your leathers, no matter what a, bike you're riding, you feel that way. <laughs> this is very true. There is a website I have for you, Liza. Okay. Uh, but no, it was a great weekend. It was it was very very well attended. I think it's Laguna Seca is a great place. Yeah. Um, you get down in the paddock. All the manufacturers were there. Bex, you were there darling. not on Saturday, darling, but you were there on Friday and today. Today, yes, I was. Um, <clears throat> it was a lot busier than I had anticipated from the start Friday, mm. um, which was fantastic. Where we're talking about, oh, you know, the the um, patronage of motorcycling events is and the decline, and this felt great. Yeah, didn't it? It did. Uh, people were excited. They were young, middle, old. They were all different types I mean, it, of bikes. It, it ain't MotoGP. We're not talking those kind of crowds, but there was a good damn crowd there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Parking lot was full. Everybody was having a good time. Yes, the energy was fantastic. What was the weather like today? Because it was hotter than Hades uh, yesterday. Yes. Yesterday was miserable. Um everywhere actually the bay unusually but today it started out quite cold and moist last night was um, oh moist we like it moist. was moist <laughs> and uh it was it turned out the sky opened up the sun shone and we had a nice breeze and i will tell you it was perfect weather it was perfect yes. so um guys next year Superbike, World Superbike. World yeah. Superbike. Make it if you can. It's All a right. great venue. And you can come over to Miss Emma's house afterwards and have a nice cup of tea and some <laughs> crumbly cake. Oh, splendid. Nice. Yes, it's well, a splendid afternoon. As you know, um, next week I won't be here because I am heading off towards Ohio. Who's running my the bike. show then? You are. And. Uh -oh. <laughs> cats away. Uh, and. And me. Bagel. Yes, and Bagel. And well, until Bagel leaves to come join me. Oh, Indeed. God. What are Ohio, we going to do then? Because we're going to AMA Vintage Days. I know we've been talking about it. Phil's been talking about it. Everyone's been talking about it, But we are so looking forward to it. It is so much fun. Zach's going to be meeting us there. Um, Knox flying out. Uh, we're having a lot of fun. But... There was uh, some some listeners we were hanging out with last year, and right. one of them sent an email that just takes me right back 
to yes. one of the favorite moments. What do you got there, Bagel? This is an email from Chris Teets. Hey, Chris. And Chris! It's titled 19 Days, although we're a week behind, so it's more like 12 days. And he says, hello, it's me, Chris Teets. It has been 346 and days he's back. since my ears rang with the sound of whiny two strokes. Ring, ding, ding, ding. 346 <laughs> days since my nose was filled with the exhaust of all flavors. It's been 346 <laughs> days since I was last drunk on a chariot next to Naked Jim being pulled around by a four-wheel being driven by an old man in a frog hat. <laughs> it's, it's been 346 days since Emma gave me a big wet kiss being sounded by motorcycles and scooters after I gave her a bottle of gin. Yes! <laughs> it's been 346 days since the burning man of motorcycle culture. <laughs> Vintage days, but who's counting? I can't wait to see you guys again and meet more of you at Mid Ohio. That's really all I wanted to say. Harleys are cool, and long live the CB five hundred T. Thank you, Chris. That is awesome. Isn't that great? I'm that, that can we say Chris tits? I'm still on track to to be there all right. too. All right. Yeah, cool. I'm excited. Um, so, um, I'm gonna share. Oh God, I'm so sorry, guys. I'm not. The oh. consolation prize. Um, there's a big event going on right here in our neck of the woods at Hollister. Mm. Yes. Um, really lovely one, actually. Right. It is a lovely event, and me and Jim, fingers crossed, will be there for Corbin's 50th anniversary. Because, wow. you know, Sweet. Misfits and Mike go back a long way. This I think he's the, the rally, cat's- right? Yep. And mm-hmm. uh, Mike Corbin's the cat's pajamas, whichever yeah. way you look at he's it. He's a really so, cool guy. He's a really cool guy. We need to be out there and celebrate him. So any listeners in the Bay Area, if you can't make it out to Vintage Days, come and meet me and Jim over at Mike Corbin's place. And that's on the 6th. It's a historic event. It is historic, isn't it? Motorcycle history. I'll I'll also be there. And uh, I think it would be pretty awesome if anybody who had electric bikes came down as well. Kiss a ginger! Five cents! (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. No, that's a special price for you. Okay. (laughs) Kiss a ginger, 25 cents only! (laughs) Did did you preface that the the week prior you'll be racing? I have not announced that yet uh, yeah so let's we'll leave that for now okay but if you want to come back sample. and uh for that weekend and do the yeah. podcast yeah that'd be but great in, in particular alan i'm so sorry i'm not going to be at vintage days but i promise alan, promise alan 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 but i promise i will be back for 2019 maybe so, I'll, I'll bring a british flag just for you yeah alan. thank mm. you dear yeah so well, you're riding your triumph I am. Yeah. I, I have a flag and an Amazon army. <laughs> We've got time for one more email here. Cool, blimey. And this one is from our, da- our friend David up in Canada. Oh, David, eh? <laughs> what a hoser. And David was, <laughs> he was this month's uh, Patreon prize pack winner. Hey, Fantastic. Congratulations. So he says, uh, hey, gang, what's going on? How's things? Wanted to say thank you very much for the stuff. I've been, you are welcome. I've been putting together a tool pouch to carry on my bike, a Bob CBR 550. Nice. And uh, the the TP gauge will fit in nicely, and clean socks and T-shirt are always a bonus. He says, can't recall if you've ever talked about this, but I was wondering what y'all would recommend for dirt bike gear, specifically what you'd recommend for heading out on the trails. Do you need full-on motocross boots? Is D30 armored gitch... 
necessary or can you get away with work boots and jeans with no holes i can tell you exactly what you need you need a frog helmet and a tutu he says basically (laughs) basically what you use (laughs) and what would you use knowing what you know now i can tell you that um uh, yeah. Even on trail riding, the better the boots, the better. I would yeah. mud one lies a zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I stopped wearing my giant motocross boots because I bought ADV boots that are a little more comfortable, but they're still tall mm-hmm. and pretty stiff. And you need that ankle. You support, really don't need you? that ankle support. Yeah, yes. shin guards that come up over the knee. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, something that I think most of us have bought are the mesh armored jackets. Yes, mm-hmm. that you can wear by itself or underneath another jacket some people even use that on the street mm-hmm. as additional armor under their jacket at a minimum uh that the elbows front uh chest back uh shoulders um a lot of guys will wear a collar protector if you're yep. going black diamonds i highly recommend it I don't wear hip protectors and I don't wear a neck protector, but on dirt, because you are much more prone to crashing um, and because there are things like sticks that may hey, hit I you, impale you. I, I, um, just the basic gear is not that big of a deal. It's not that heavy. It's not that expensive. I yeah. haven't said helmets, gear. but of course. Yeah. Please. Well, no, that's a given. I've got a question for the boys. Um, do you wear protection for the family jewels? We call them Ooh. nard guards. Oh, nard guards! Yeah. So, what? It's like a like a like a box. <laughs> Nut junction protection. Mm, no, I, I don't think anybody I does. I don't. That. Unfortunately, right. they don't fit under the leather, so oh, I, was I just gonna, uh, uh, cross my legs if I go down. Okay, very good. So. Just Carrying on. Continuing, he <laughs> says, side note, have you seen the KTM 300 XCW TPI Enduro? Is it orange? It's 300cc fuel-injected two-stroke, weighs 225 pounds, is a two-stroke, comes with electric start, is a two-stroke, oil-injected, is a two-stroke, <laughs> reckless clutch option, is a two-stroke. It even comes with a butt puckering price tag and did i mention it's a two-star thinking this could be my up the butt bike thanks again for everything you do and take care from dave p.s tires are expensive so keep the front wheel off the ground it'll last forever that way that is a misfits top tip top tip so yeah cool i'm glad david that that uh, stuff is going to use with you but yeah for dirt gear even when i'm just riding simple trails i still gear cool. up yeah mm-hmm. knees down to toes extremely covered i see a lot of people ride with just chest and back protectors and no arm gear but mm-hmm. um i recommend just getting one of those mesh jackets um they're actually they're really, not that expensive and they're not that uncomfortable by the way mm-hmm. yeah and you can use it under your street gear too mm-hmm. yeah but, a, but a, cape, a cape and a tutu will do at a push <laughs> <laughs> okay okay um i think um i think we're ready to wrap up no we're not yeah. liza yeah safe travels honey thank you very much yeah i've been packing my bike i think i over Oh, overpacked in that I managed to fit everything into less luggage and I have like a lot of empty luggage <laughs> on my bike. Oh, well, no, that'll leave you room for gifts. That'll leave you room for gifts. So yes. you'll find a C90 and put it on the back of your bike. <laughs> <laughs> the things. I know the things. So, um, and thank you, Emma, for you know running uh, the garage and the show the next couple well, of I'm, weeks. Well, I'm not promising how well it's going to be run. 
It'll, it'll probably be a shit show, but I'll do my best. No, it'll be better. But sometimes the shit shows are the best shows. Yes, true that. But um, this is where we say thank you again, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. That was special for us, getting yeah. someone like him yeah, in. Hey. But, you know, some of these names that we mentioned, uh, these are more people on my list. Uh, we're going to keep working. There's more great legends, AMA Hall of Famers, for us to get in here, and I, I'm working on that. Um, you can go to MotorcyclesAndMisfits.com. Find the links to everything there. We had another Zazzle sale today. If you'd like uh, one of our shirts or sweatshirts, go to Zazzle com and what's great is you can change the color the size the style of the t-shirts and make it your own it works out really Buy much a better t-shirt with naked gem on it it's a wonderful thing exactly <laughs> everything is there and thanks again to our patreon subscribers couldn't do it without you we appreciate it oh you, you guys so are the bestest they really are on that note i think we're ready to get out of here a couple people left so um, it's lean, you won't it? be hearing from, from dave or isaac but for those who are here thank you very much this is eliza bex says aloha mm-hmm. bagel emma darling henry brandon And we're out of here! Cool, cool! cool.